Welcome to another episode of The Paragon Path. This is episode six, The Demeanor of the Healers. We have three fantastic guests with us today, and we're going to cover everything about Paragon Healer, from who you should be targeting with your enchantments and spells, interesting combos to make, as well as alternate play styles that you may have not thought of. With that, enjoy the show. Beautiful. All right, so we are back for our sixth episode of paragon path this is the demeanor of the healers i like internal rhymes you're gonna have to deal with my weird titles um i've realized and it was pointed out to me very recently that i have not introduced who i am besides on one podcast so i am merrick the 15th i'm running this stuff uh this is also an explicit channel we can totally swear and do whatever you want so go crazy um we have today with us three fantastic guests one of them is a return guest you will see him on Half of them so oh, far. Yeah. <laughs> Half so far. And we got one more yeah. lined up for him. Um, we just need one of our wizards to have uh, free time. And uh, the other two, uh, Hopper will be the only not repeat unless she goes and gets another Paragon between here and the next time I have an episode. <laughs> so uh, we're going to start with uh, Cads introducing himself and then we'll go Hopper and Hodge just so everyone can get to know everyone's voice and a little bit about each person where they're from a little bit of their history so Cads Hi I'm Mar- Marquis Cadet Hearts Anaman and I am a Paragon healer this is one of my Paragons that was actually earned in the current rule set so <laughs> unlike Paladin and uh, Druid <laughs> Hopper uh, hi, this is Hopper. Uh, I, I guess I'm a lady. And I've been playing for about four years. I got my Paragon status like a year or two ago. Healer was basically like the only class that I played pretty much as soon as I started. So it was my one and only. My love. So yeah. And then uh, your... Parag- I don't know how to do the apprentice above thing. It's very bad word wise. But your uh, paragon, I guess, uh, Hodge. Yes. Um, Hopper. Uh, hello, I am Hodge Oxon. Uh, I play Ampgard in this beautiful country, live in Polaris. Uh, and Hopper was my first paragon apprentice. She got her stripes. <laughs> Honestly, I admit that I went to Hodge for like a lot of my healer questions and it was more like, how can I optimize this class? Because Hodge knows the, the rule book like the back of his hand. This is very true. Oh, I'm probably, uh, I'm definitely more rusty than I am now during We're quarantine. We're all rusty. It's COVID. If yeah. you're not rusty, I'd be concerned and I'd have questions about where you're playing and can I join you? <laughs> this is a joke right. for all legal reasons. <laughs> So, getting uh, starting off the bat, we have to always make sure that we get a rubric, what we consider a paragon, what we want to make sure the difference between a six and a paragon is. So, uh, the way we start off every episode, what is the difference between a level six and a paragon? We'll go reverse order, which we started. So, Hodge, what do you consider the difference between a six and a paragon? Um, well, a level six, I would say, you know your abilities you know what you're out there doing. You have a game plan, a list set. Um, the difference, I suppose, with that in a Paragon, I guess, is probably more just on performance. Um, 
and when it comes to like quick actions and knowing what actions to take in which order so for example like you know ju just packing a resurrect is is a necessity but who to resurrect at what time is more of a higher level thinking just as an example mm -hmm. we'll move to hopper um i mean i feel like most people kind of have an understanding for the difference between level six and a paragon like you can get level six without ever really playing a class so you can be <laughs> i mean like a lot of people just you know they want to be nice sign in as you want and you know you're not going to police it right even though you know in some places they do they're like you have to play it that's in the rule book but um people just being nice and they give them the credits so I think that the main difference is you can be a level six and not know your spells. You can be a level six and not be a threat. You can be a level six and nobody will even know that you even play that class. Like if somebody is like, all right, you know, Hodge is on that other team. I think I know how he likes to play. I think I over, like I tried to listen to uh, what spell list he's got, and I think he's gonna he's gonna run Necro or something like that. So like we gotta do this. So kind of planning based off of I know this person, I pay attention enough to be like, this is what they like to play because I see them do it often enough to even like study it and know it like the back of their hand. So, yeah. Makes sense. And uh, Cads, the question we've asked you three <laughs> times. <laughs> three times so far. Yep. Um, the difference between level six and a paragon in my opinion, huge difference and um, the analogy I made in the previous video was that it's kind of like in an MMORPG, it's difference between a max level and someone who's really mastered their role. Um, a, a great example is that in many events, many kingdom events, there everyone's a level six. There's a lot of kingdom burns where everyone's allowed to play level six, but even though that happens, you can tell who the paragons are. They're the ones who are the biggest threat in the field, the ones who, who know their class inside and out and have optimized their class and have probably optimized what they can do for that specific game. And yeah, they're the big threats on the field. All right. So we've got a rubric down what we're kind of looking for. Um, we're going to go, I think this is correct. We're going to go reverse newest to oldest Paragon, which I believe should be Hopper Hodge Cads. Cause Cads, you got healer very quickly in V8, correct? Yeah, somewhat quickly. It was a, it was definitely a please stop playing this class kind of a thing, <laughs> which is what Paragon should be. Right. Absolutely, I agree. With I that. didn't stop. Yeah. <laughs> Don't stop. Never stop. Always play. Uh, play the classes that make you have fun. That's a good point. Um, so mm -hmm. starting with Hopper, what are the three things you wish you knew when you started playing Healer or when you started on your Paragon path? Um. When I first started playing Ampguard in general, all I did was fight. I got to know the torches really well, and so classes were kind of a mystery to me. So when I started learning Healer, I immediately jumped to the last page of the spells, and I was like, oh, look at all those high-level spells. And there are just a lot of low-level spells that can be really useful. So... Um, I would kind of build my spell lists off of expensive things that, and it didn't really end up working with either the game type 
that we were playing, like maybe I wouldn't even bother to be a priest or any type of a, of a res bot in a, in a life pool game, which can be game changing. And um, I always felt that I needed a subclass and eventually I fell into, um, it may not always be the best choice for the game, but I fell into a love for not using subclasses. So I, uh, the, the things that I wish that I knew in the beginning were um, subclasses give you limitations and sometimes depending on how you want to play, they might not be worth it. And you don't have to take them if you don't want to. Cool. I like I like that. Uh, that was something that came over from the Druid uh, podcast as well, is that there are some builds that are best without a subclass. Um, That's definitely a good one. Yeah, it's, it's weird for me coming from Bard because there's almost no reason not to take a subclass of a type because mm-hmm. Dervish is stupidly good (laughs) (laughs) like if you're not wearing four points or full full two points of armor you should probably be taking dervish but um hodge three things you wish you knew when you started playing healer or start on your all right um well i struggled a little bit with this question um and i'm going to kind of piggyback off of what hopper said just because she and i have a very similar idea on one of these um that um Senpai noticed me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, that uh, having an archetype is not always necessary. Sometimes it's very useful to not have those restrictions. Um, thinking specifically, uh, I think Priest is probably the most popularly chosen archetype in Healer. Um, but Priest, it has the, its restrictions are very real. Um, sometimes people think like, oh, that restriction, that's not much at all. I can really work around that. But having a swift release is very good. Having access to swift on your ice balls, on your other touch range things. On circle of protection? I was about to say, yeah, swift circle of protection is so good. Um, And that's something that you just can't take as a priest. But, um, so, yeah, that's that's one thing. Um, Another thing that would have been very helpful to know in the beginning is how resurrecting affects um, the frequency, I guess you could say, of per lives and how it affects armor points on somebody who has been resurrected. Uh, So to clarify, somebody who is resurrected does not get their per lives back. Somebody who is resurrected does not get any armor points restored that were gone in that location when they died (laughs) i didn't learn that until like uh probably halfway through my uh healer (laughs) career when i was going for it and that's that is a very game-changing thing when you realize it i couldn't really think of a third thing very well uh because i kept thinking really everything i was grateful to not know because it it allowed me to learn it in a very um, detailed way. Interesting. Not knowing something and learning it. I mean, that's always fun to, to learn something new, at least for me. If you don't like learning, you're probably on the wrong podcast. Um, <laughs> Cads, what are three things you wish you knew for Healer? Uh, so when I started Healer, um, the spell list I put together uh, at the beginning 
was very similar to the spell list I got I used when I became Paragon. And um, I can't really say that for a lot of other classes that I've played. But Healer, um, I definitely kind of really looked into it, like theory crafted it with a bunch of friends, and we came up with what we felt was the best, um, for our means at least, the best uh, combat healer build, like so pure support healer build. Um, one thing I will say it, that I will say is that greater release is just as much of an offensive spell as it is a defensive spell. Maybe a little bit more of an offensive spell because you can use it to range release somebody while your team kills them. You can use it to remove fight after death. <laughs> then that the big that that last one is the big one. I'm I remember there was a castle battle in keep where I removed like seven fight after deaths. <laughs> and got them back with with uh, steel life essence because I had them experienced. Nice. Um, so the, the other thing that I learned is that when you're playing a pure support class and you're kind of staying in the second rank of your team, once you throw a spell ball, especially in a mass battle, you're likely not getting that spell ball back for probably a good 15 minutes. <laughs> so that's one thing I learned is that like, Small games take spell balls. Larger games, um, you can take spell balls, but definitely not as many. <laughs> so that's um, at least two things that I learned. Yeah. The big ones. <laughs> it's an equipment problem when you throw your spell ball and you're like, I need it. Can you? It's way over uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> you have to like either wade your way through a line of people, which nobody wants to do anyways, and get it or, you know. Just ignore it. And mm -hmm. especially in a large battle game, there are probably battery bards on the field that are available to give you your per lives back, your most of your verbals, so you're not having to worry about running the, out of those. Um, oh, like you? Uh, oh, oh, like me, yes. Oh, like well, you? One other thing I learned, uh, kind, of the, kind of the hard way, is that um, looking at the rule book, I'm like, okay, so healer is mostly a support class, but you know what? They're really good at releasing, healing, and rezzing but they're not so good at mending. They kind of suck at mending. They get mend at a higher level than like druid or wizard, and they never learn greater mend. Um, so, okay, try to train people to go to their wizard or druid for mends and not the healer. Yeah, that's not going to work. They're still going to go to, to you for mends because you're the support role. So no matter what, you know, you're going to have to suck it up and take some mends. <laughs> it, it is really unfortunate because like, uh, is it wizard, druid, and bard get it at one? Yeah. And, and you get it at two? Yeah. Healer gets three. three. You get it at three. Oh yeah. I haven't played healer in a minute, so <laughs> this is showing. But, like, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. That's Yeah, they su <laughs> they're awful. They get it for life, at least. <laughs> yeah, healers suck. No, no, but for mending, but that is the thing. Like, everyone's mind is the healer is the ultimate support class. And you turn around and you go, I need mends. And you should really be looking for the blue or yellow sash that's playing support. Because the healer's yeah, like, yeah. I can't flesh mend a armor. <laughs> this doesn't work. Yeah. Can't do that. Um, I realize we're going to say some jargon. Uh, and I'm going to explain some of that right now. If we say res bot, that is a resurrection bot, they're basic job in the game is to sit at a respawn location and make everyone come back to life before the respawn timer would normally allow them to um that's uh I, i've realized very recently that we say some 
jargon that we've created in the Midwest and in Texas, and nobody else knows what it means. So we're going <laughs> to abbreviate some stuff. Uh, gummy is greater undead minion. Ummy is undead minion. Um, COP is circle of protection, not circle of paragons. Uh, what was the other one? Um, we'll, we'll shorten a lot of the spells. If we say something that sounds weird, just find the spell that sounds like the shortened version of whatever we said, and it's probably the right answer. Mm-hmm. G release for greater yep. release. Greater release. P yep. tears, Phoenix tears. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Pro mag is protection from magic. Pro pro is protection from projectiles. Uh, if we're abbreviating it, it's probably a long name. Yeah. Spell. <laughs> right. Okay. Now that that technical thing is out of the way, um, three. Three things we just went over. We want to do common mistakes to avoid. And let's start with Hodge on this one. What are some common mistakes that you see healers make that they should avoid? Um, so this kind of goes back to my thing I sort of wish I would have known in the first place. Uh, healing and resurrecting people who have not used their per lives or who have no armor points left. Um it's an important consideration, uh, depending on the size of the game. Um, and it just comes down to priorities. Uh, you need to understand how the respawn mechanic works in that situation as well. You know, to know how to most effectively use your, your incants. Um, this applies mostly to a resbot. Um, something else to mention is a resbot will usually be a priest because um, it gives them access to recharge their uh, abilities. So um, for that person, it's very important for them to understand the respawn mechanics and how respawning somebody with armor or who hasn't used their per lives works. Um, I think that's a big pitfall that I had to overcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked what Cad said about keeping track of your spell balls as well, because that's definitely a situation I've found myself in. Out of spell balls, but not dead. So how do I get my shit back? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could technically like line up as many spell balls as you can in a straight line, and then teleport and pick them up along the way. Um... That, I suppose. <laughs> we don't have blink, and you don't have... Uh... Um, wow, I was basing on the reload. You don't have that. So you got to figure something out. Yeah, might work. Um, I think we need to train more people on how resurrect does work. Cause there's a lot of times where we've created kind of that weird assembly line where we have a res bot and then a bard and then another bard. And your job is to res the person, go to the first bard, get your spells back, go to the next bard, get your men's back, like your armor back, and then continue on your way. And most people just like get res and leave. And we're like, no, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, I think it's um, sort of just uh, something that a lot of people don't maybe don't know or don't think about, mm-hmm. but it is a mechanic of our game. Um, and also for newer players, for people who aren't like, trying to study really hard into the rules they're just showing up to have a good time you know um which of course we are all trying to show up and have a good time um (laughs) but they you know as you said they may be unaware of how that works um and so i think teaching that in our culture 
uh, would be an important thing. And us as healers, it's, you know, sort of our area of expertise to be teaching that. Cads, mm-hmm. uh, common mistakes. Um, I would say using the wrong build for the wrong situation. Unlike a lot of other classes, I would actually say of all the caster classes, healer is the one that you want to modify the most depending on the size of the game. Um, and I'll say that like, when it comes to, if I were to make a tier list for amp guard for smaller games, I would put healer around in the B tier, you know, just because they're a support class. And if there's not a lot of people to support, then, you know, you, you don't want to play a pure support healer. You you kind of want to play a mix of offensive and defensive and pretty much every other caster does offense better than healer. But when it comes to mass battles, if there's a tier list, their healers are in the top tier and they're the only ones who are in the top tier. They have a God tier all of their own. I have seen healers, uh, good healers just wreck mass battles. And, and if, especially if they take kind of a pure support build and especially if they go with the flank of their team, because now you have this, you know, this fl- flank of like 12 elite people who just never die because their healer is amazing. Um, so that's what I would say. The big mistake is is if you find a good like pure build that you like for one, uh, don't like if you say if you say play a pure support build in a mass battle and you and you kick ass because you will because you're playing healer in a mass battle. Uh, don't take that build to a small battle and expect you to wreck as much face because you probably won't. You do need to modify your list depending on the size and scope of the battle. There's no jack-of-all-trades list that you can be like, this is the one list I will run forever, and that is it. And that doesn't work. No, that's, that works for Druid, and probably works for Bard and Wizard. <laughs> you can't run Battery Bard on a small field unless you want to be that is, really bored. That is very true. I'm more thinking of, like, the Combat Bard. Oh, the, the Combat, combat Bard with yeah. armor. Yeah, Combat <laughs> that's, Bard, that's it just... It gets messy because then we have way too many bill- like way too many copies of a spell for the number of people in the field. And yeah. it becomes a problem. Hopper, <laughs> common mistakes you think people should avoid? Uh, so m- my common mistake idea is, uh, I guess, a little more geared towards my experience than what I've seen. Is that, like I said before, I grew up in my little wee baby amp guard career with the torches. Which means that I want to hit the people with the sticks. And so I'll get tunnel vision, like real bad. And I'll get super excited because I'm like, I'm a whack this guy. Except I'm playing a healer and I'm very squishy. And I should really try and play more as a team instead of being like, I'm going to fucking get this guy. So um, I would say that uh, value your life a little bit more. You are a healer and you have a very good place on the team. So if you want to be team oriented, then sort of come at it a little bit more as part of a team instead of this is what I like to do therefore I will do it period regardless of whatever class I'm playing because I did that a lot I still do that (laughs) not gonna lie because I like to hit people I mean you could get medium shields that's moderately defensive medium shield yes (laughs) (laughs) for those that don't know Hopper is a very small woman and uh, I'm pretty sure if we gave you a max small, it'd be 
moderately okay. If somebody gave me a max small, it would look the same as an average sized man using a max medium because I currently use a max medium. <laughs> it's very big. People are like, you're like a circle with legs. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get no shoulder shots on that one. Uh. <laughs> uh, I'm also 5'1", so they're just like, whoop, and then they hit me in the ankles. I just jump. <laughs> oh. Memories. Why is she called Hopper? Uh, maybe. Um, for those of you who don't know, the Torches are a Texas... Uh, if you don't know who the Torches are, we have some history to teach you. That'll be a different podcast. Um, <laughs> the Torches are a uh, fighting company from Texas that have the highest concentration of warlords in any fighting company. Um, it's ridiculous. But they really really like uh stick tag a lot and some of them really like battle games like Dalos was a master assassin who's one of the torches he was a master assassin before getting his warlord i believe so dizzy also loves battle games and i mean noah's not a torch but no he's a torch adjacent he's like michael, <laughs> like michael. <laughs> torch adjacent um all right enough about torches we'll get we'll get to them at a different podcast when i go through fighting company history god so long podcast <laughs> um healer fitting on the battlefield so uh i want to point out something here that a lot of people really classically think healer is a support class only and uh all three of you have proven that wrong by playing offensive builds in large and small battle games with a healer and still wrecking face so uh where does the healer fit on the battlefield? This is going to go very similar to the druid one, if you didn't see that, or if you saw that one. Uh, where does the healer fit on the battlefield? Roles, positioning, meta. How do we change our style of play based on the size of field? Um, so we're going to start with CADS on this one. Um, I would say the healer, as I've said, it, it, its biggest strength is in its support. When I play healer, I do, I do take offensive abilities, and I do, you know... And I can wreck people with those offensive abilities, but I take the mindset of like, this is what I'm going to be used to defend myself. So I'm not just a speed bump if, if people uh, try to rush my team. I'm spending most of my time supporting my team and throwing the occasional ice ball and maybe casting the occasional verbal. Um, I usually take Necro Priest though, which <laughs> doesn't have it that much in the way of verbals. Uh, but sp but spell balls are awesome, and it, when it comes to offense. Ice Ball is one of the best spells in the game. And it's great because many classes can use it. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I, what I think healer... If you're playing healer optimally, and I'm not saying that you have to, because sometimes playing a class unoptimally is fun. But if you're playing healer optimally, it's going to be support. Um, but I will say that when I say support, I don't mean like 100% a res bot, like a base res bot. Um, that's what a lot of people think when they think support, and that's just simply not true. You're go like, in my opinion, the best way to play healer is you're constantly with your team. You're mobile with your team. You're rushing with your team, and you're keeping your team up. You're and you know, on a mass spell that could mean like an elite group of ten people that's just that's just flanking, and they have a healer with them that's playing full support, but that full support healer isn't just, you know, in one place. They're constantly moving, they're constantly rezzing, they're constantly releasing, they're constantly doing all that stuff. That's in, in 
my opinion, that's the healer's optimal role on the battlefield. An aggressive support. Yes. So like <laughs> that's a great way of putting it. If we break down to the the you know the front line is almost always armor. The second line is like poles, bows, and throwies. That healer can be on that second line. You've got a medium shield if you want to use it, and you can keep everyone in the front line up and running because you've got res, you've got heal, you've got mens that come at an extra cost, but you've got the potential to use it. Um, exactly. And speaking of mens, here, here's a pro tip: when I'm playing second rank healer, I like to take um, either. Like stone skin or iron skin, get get that just so like stray spell balls don't hit you and stuff like that. And I usually take um, steel life essence twice per life, and usually take necromancer so I can recharge it. And then I take experience mend, and that kind of gives you like a poor man scavenge, um, because you can steal life essence back the mend and then cast the mend, and you can use that to keep yourself up indefinitely if they're really focusing on you with arrows and stuff like that. Yeah, getting getting uh, magical armor, especially ancestral magical armor, is a huge benefit for all casters and support because it's yeah, it's, it's free lives essentially when it comes down to it. You're you're avoiding getting either ice balled, which could lead to a death. You're avoid getting uh, that stray arrow that could be a death or a wound that you now have to take the time out of your build to heal on yourself instead of being able to heal someone else because that's not your your optimals to keep everyone else running so they don't have to take time out of their fight to heal up or you know go back or whatever um yeah fitting on the battlefield so second line and flanks and the there's a point in there that i i will uh tag for a little bit later sustainability on flanks is really important um Mm -hmm. that if you're not sustainable on a flank, you're probably not supposed to be there. Like barbarians think that they should be on flanks a lot of times. And I disagree because they can't keep themselves up and running as often as a warrior with low points of armor, a healer with an enchantment or uh, even an assassin or a scout. Cause they have some abilities to get themselves out of dodge if they need to and keep going. I mean, the barbarians, exactly. barbarians needs to be fixed in my opinion as well, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> Um, that remi- that reminds me of a healer on the flank. There's a certain strategy I ca- have called the dropship, which um, I I kind of nag from StarCraft. And this is something my friends and I do. Like in, in be- and it's especially good in battle games that have like different terrain. Like you can't cross this area, you can't cross mm-hmm. that area. Like there's this island, and it's something me and my friends get to do. It's like it's like you know get help and Thor. Like let's do dropship. Let's <laughs> come on, let's do dropship. And like no, we're not okay. Fine, we'll do dropship. And that's when you take a, a necromancer healer. You make you have them take five undead minions, make them like ridiculous undead minions, like monks and mm-hmm. and and like warlords playing monk. And then you teleport or pass bad terrain to a part of the field that's unoccupied. That the healer does, and your team hits the undead minions, making them go into substantial. And they chase and, uh, through. And, and they have to, and, and they go right through and go to where the healer is and suddenly you have a dropship with the healer and 500 minions like right behind the enemy team usually with pole arms does anybody else think that healer on the flank should be either a band name or a book name <laughs> i like it as a band name it should be a cover for nine inch mm-hmm. nails <laughs> healer on the flank um, so, there you go dropship do it do it sometime it's really fun would it also potentially work? Because Haj, you've done this before. I've seen you do it, and you've done it to me. Uh, 
where you start with a lack of you start with a greater undead minion and you kill the person you're targeting steal life to charge the next oh greater gosh, undead yeah. minion and oh, cast yeah. it on them you okay do that do they that's come one alive? of my favorite things to do do they come alive as soon as the greater undead minion is cast or you still have to do the yes. they do come alive right away yes yep okay they do. if they didn't come alive then you could just do that down the line and teleport over and then they'd all have to chase you anyways <laughs> <laughs> It's basically the same thing, but it, I like that. Just, hey, pop, 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 and go through. Also, I will point yeah. out, if you really want to make a team mad, you need a druid, a healer, and a wizard, and you give your undead minions a tuned and contagion, and then they are stupid. <laughs> so that's actually the first combo that I ever noticed in the rulebook interaction, and I would like to say I've never done it. We but have planned it, but never done it. It does seem really wicked. Um, needs a lot of coordination, probably on a bigger team size, but uh, never done it. Seems amazing, though. I mean, can you imagine, like, three or five just even moderately good stick jocks with wounds kill and essentially infinite lives? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you make a monk... And pole arms. Yeah, and pole arms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Plus, you've got teleport. You can throw them wherever you want, and they just... Oh, no, that doesn't work because they come out of insubstantial the wrong way. It's so interesting to see the different types of combos that come out of different regions, right? So mm -hmm. I, I've noticed that Polaris has is less of a stick-heavy area. Like, I feel like you guys more so enjoy battle games than the South. And then down here, there's, like, a lot of stick-heavy people who will end up, they'll be like, I really like to ditch, but, like... I'm going to get some more fights by jumping into this battle game, but I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm basically just going to hit people. <laughs> so what ends up happening is that you build these different combos based off of the players that you're used to seeing in your own region. So like me, for instance, one of the first combos that I... No, wait. No, wait, I'm going to save that because that's another question. Okay. I'm going to save that. Okay. <laughs> Planning ahead. Um... Oops. <laughs> Uh, Hodge, where do you put the healer on the battlefield? Roles, positioning, stuff like that. So, um, as Cads had mentioned earlier, it depends a lot on the size of the team. Um, and that's very important for building your list, as he was saying in the last topic. Um, so, I always take that into consideration where looking at or when looking at what my list is going to be and where I'm going to be on the field. Those things go totally hand in hand. Uh, for example, if you are on a small team, your offensive capabilities matter that much more. If you're on a five-man team, you are now one-fifth of your team's stick. Um, so if, let's say, if you've got the best stick at the park um, on your team, you can probably play a little bit more support. If you, let's say, the best stick on the in the park is on the other side you should probably be a little bit more combat focused um but what with what hopper said too your priority is to stay alive because you're the healer you are the support um value your life you matter <laughs> mm -hmm. that's something that i also had to kind of learn it's just like you know if i would have just taken a couple of steps back rather than engaging here i would probably be alive my teammates would probably then also be alive, even if they had died, because I could resurrect them. Right. Um, so, 
it, it really matters on team size. Uh, when it's, you know, a smaller team, uh, take those offensive spells and abilities and, uh, you know, try to pack some stick, you know, sword and board, Florentine, if you feel like it. Um, <laughs> I know, imagine. Um, and then in a bigger game, you know, take more support class. Um, because your team is going to be able to fill in those gaps where you are lacking for you much more easily. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense on, on keeping that. We do have to point out, I would like to state, remember you have to have an open-handed cast if you're playing flow. Got to <laughs> flirt with that boundary line of like, in my hand, I wielded, carried, that whole little thing. Haj, you have an answer to it. You have a wrist strap on your sword that you just like drop. And then the sword right. is hanging, and you pop it back up, and it looks really cool. It's also just like a dangling weapon then while you're casting, which is mm, yep. potentially problematic. Yeah. Mm. Um, Hopper, where the healer f- I'm chewing on my tongue. Where, does where the, the healer, healer f- fits on the field? Yes, that one. Thank you. Um, so I think that I mean I mostly agree with pretty much everything that the other two have said. Um, and I think that the like where the healer fits on the field is wherever you can keep everybody else in the game as much as possible, right? So if you're playing, if you're if you're resing people most of the time, maybe that's the thing that you're best at. You're right behind them as close as you can get, keeping yourself safe and popping them back up where you feel like you can, like in that that area that Cads was talking about, like that like second rank or maybe even right behind that or mm. maybe you're on that flank maybe you're the healer on the flank and you're making sure that that flank can continue doing what they're doing right so you're wherever you fit on the field is where you can keep people in the game continuously doing what they need to do whether either mending or resing or what have you mm-hmm. keeping them right there i think a couple times we referred to that as a pocket healer they sit in that little pocket of space mm-hmm. behind the boardman who's got, you know, the stick. Hello. In the yes. Um, I will state if you've not worked with somebody when you when you're doing pocket healer, you're probably going to step on each other's toes and it's going to get really bad. Oh, yeah. Work on like moving together in a pocket healer situation or a pocket caster situation because it's hard. Make um, sure your teammates know when you die. Don't fucking move. <laughs> Yeah, don't move. That's another point. Don't just like put your sword up and then run away. It's like I'm here for a reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Training. Something else I, uh, I just thought of too on this topic, um, that is sort of overlooked, I guess, or not thought of maybe a lot of times. But a healer on the battlefield can really be like a, like a battlefield commander. Sometimes I know that's yeah. how I played it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I you're got a flank overcoming over there. Exactly, and especially when you are in the back, more like resing, um, it's really easy for you to take those observations and then share that information with your team, either as you're as they're coming back to spawn, for whatever reason, um, you know, just share that information, point out to people where we need their help. I love it. I love it. Yeah, being being in the back, not being on that front line, you get a much bigger view of the battlefield, and. I think it's important with anybody who's not on that front line. Uh, you have to take into effect that you have more effect on the field than just your abilities. Stating where things are coming from, either grabbing a handful of people and moving them where you think they should go, 
is going to make a bigger difference than you ever could if you just started shoving people around left and right because shove is an ability in the game it has very strict limitations battlefield strategy is limitless because it's not refined it's not defined or confined by anything in our game besides your imagination and what you can figure out so be smart any any class can use that be smart um go to abilities things you need to know and hidden gem abilities now we've pointed out uh, offensive abilities several times what are those offensive abilities and Haj you've I think used these quite a bit what would you consider the offensive abilities on the the Haj or the the Haj list the healer list um <clears throat> so I don't know that I'll get all of them uh, this might not be an exhaustive list but for me the ones that come to mind uh, of course you have stun your max level spell uh, you have Ice Ball. Uh, I believe that is the strongest spell in the game. I think I take that sentiment from Cads, as I heard him <laughs> say that once, and I agreed with that from then on. Um, and nothing's so good. Yeah, and it, with, they have like a 30-second death spawn. It's oftentimes an engulfing death ball. I'll take it. <laughs> um, yeah. a, okay. And then Astral Intervention. Yes! Um, yeah. Oh, it's... So underrated. I'm going to cover that for my hidden gem. And uh, Shove, of course, is offensive. Um, greater Release. I That might have been an exhaustive list, but those are the ones that come to mind. I think that's most of I mean, besides the, uh, the one you didn't hit on is the Catch and Release, the way that we can turn a release spell into an offensive kill. Oh, true. And I also didn't hit Entangle either. Oh, right, 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 right. Well, when you have Ice Ball, why do you need Entangle? That's, that's how <laughs> um, I feel. <laughs> but you use Entangle on the people that you don't want to Ice Ball. Who wouldn't you want to Ice Ball? Well, I mean, you could <laughs> shove them after you Entangle them. That would be a benefit. Because you can't shove a Frozen <laughs> like, player, but yeah, you can shove. Yeah. Shove no, so, they're immune to that ball. I'll, I'll say there's one person who you don't want to Ice Ball, and that's Warriors with Ancestral Armor, or anyone Absolutely. with Ancestral Armor that matter, matter because it'll just hit them and do one point. But you know what won't? A Bance. A Bance <laughs> yes. goes right through off, uh, Ancestral Armor. Oh, that spicy green ball that only oh, wow. you guys have. Oh, my God. Have some wasabi Can't. ball. <laughs> that is my new favorite name. Of, you just reminded ball? me of one of my, uh, my bluff casting tactics with that as well. Oh yeah, I, I I think I know what you're talking about—the dirty hairy thing. Oh! You, you you charge a spell ball behind your shield, and you walk up to the warrior. And is it ice ball? Do you want do you? Because if it hits their shield, <laughs> they're ice balled. If the advance hits their shield, it does nothing. But if yes. the ice ball hits their so, do you want to block it with your armor? Do you want to block it with your shield? You have to make that choice as soon as my the ball leaves my hand. Which which did I charge? Well, in all the confusion. Kind of forgot myself. Shields can be really big targets, especially uh, being a person who really does love sword and board. It can be a pretty bad thing to have, depending on if people are carrying those engulfing balls. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Balls. One balls. one thing. <laughs> one spell I'll say is a sleeper underrated as an offensive spell, and this isn't just exclusive to healers. It's teleport. Um, especially if you self-teleport, because if you self-teleport, um, and like I said, this applies to healers, this applies to wizards, this applies to druids, um, and you can come out any time between where you hit, um, 
where you entered insubstantial or you're leaving insubstantial with the exit incantation if you cast it on yourself. And the exit incantation can be said while moving. So you can teleport yourself and then run at somebody while while in, incanting the exit incantation. <laughs> and then you'll pop right out and kill them. I have a, a very clear memory of you, like, you were awkwardly stepping through our line. We had a, it was a tunnel fight. This was at MAME a couple years ago, MAME or GAC. And you are teleporting through, slowly incanting the, I return to the physical world, I return to the physical world. And you'd get like halfway through and somebody would track you or banish you back and you'd like start going back. You'd pop back out. You just kept doing that. And there was like four people dealing with a CADS who had no weapons and was just teleporting. And I was like, this is the biggest waste of our time ever. Yeah. Like, oh, and you, you can stutter the exit incantation. I return to the physical world. I return to the fi- I return to the physical, and then and then they stop paying attention to you. Always just faking, and then you actually come out, and you have what? And if you I have weapons, that with assassin, like there's this guy in my park <laughs> named Valisk. I mean, he doesn't come out anymore. He moved away, but he would often play assassin, and then I would be like, the spirit's bit, the spirit, the spirit's bit. <laughs> the yeah. bluff casting. <laughs> One of my favorite things that I uh, discovered pretty late in my healer career, and I carried it on to Wizard, um, was that teleport shenanigans. I think I got uh, the the name Telefragger from Cads. Um, yes. Uh, so, but it's it's incredibly frustrating to the people that I have played um, uh, it with, or like who are on the other team, because all you're doing is you're just like Cad said, you walk into the back line and you're kind of bluffing your incant. You can come out whenever you want. If you get dealt with, you start again. Just make them keep dealing with you. And then when they underestimate you, you pop out and you can just knife them. Look yeah. at me. I'm a distraction. A exactly. dangerous distraction. I'm a distraction uh, like, with ice balls. <laughs> well, yeah. let, me, let me say this. I play wizard, druid, and healer a lot, and all of them have teleport. I buy teleport. <laughs> it's it's so good. It's such a good spell, and it, I think it's made more deadly by the fact that the casters then have other answers after they pop out. Like the assassin still has their bow and their sword, but they don't have much else past that. Where the druid, the wizard, and the healer pop out, and now they are uh, a full blown arsenal behind you waiting to cast whatever they want and yeah. taking full advantage of you, you know, not paying attention. Uh, it's teleport yeah, is it's underrated. Mm-hmm. And an advanced tactic with um, those spells that I listed as well. If you are able to ambulant your banish, you can, while you are, excuse me, while you are insubstantial, you can ambulant banish yourself to basically reverse the direction of your teleport, and through this so you can you can so still expensive. oh for healers not for healers you well, can banish at level one ambulant oh yeah ambulant is a tough take at level five yeah um, and it's it's oftentimes less useful but in this situation I like it a lot you can ambulant banish yourself and then basically just reverse your direction. If you've gone too far and you want to still distract, and then you can still use the return incant to pop out whenever you want. Yeah, because you, because you're the oh, target you of your own teleport, that. and you enter you you're the cause of your own teleport, and you entered it voluntarily. Gosh, that's so smart. 
Oh, and oh, and one more thing. Ba banish is it's spirit, so it's compatible with priest. You can use ambulance with yep. it while you're priest. exactly, and you can get the recharge on it. It's so good. I'm remembering why I hated being on the other side of the field from Hodge. <laughs> it's been a while and I've been able to pick and choose my teams well enough that I'm like I'm on Hodge's team I don't care what the that's, rules are that's that's uh you put me on the other team no you didn't that's a that's an answer to the first question by the way what's the difference between level six and a paragon well a paragon is someone you pick on your team because you want to play that day <laughs> it's so it's we we've kind of moved from the go-to abilities and hidden gems into the counter casting and like bluff bluffing spells so i want to define the bluffing spells because apparently people don't know this uh ability that every caster has real is, quick yeah um my hidden gem is definitely astral intervention that spell is so good it has charge three you can charge it while you're insubstantial you can keep yourself protected and insubstantial you can banish yourself out of it Astral and you can use it offensively. Astral intervention is extremely I flexible. Love that offensive combo, like I specifically remember doing that too. Ah, uh, gosh, what? Uh, what's his name? Salty? No. Yes. Aggro. Aggro. Everybody. Yeah. Aggro. He was a warrior in like I don't know how how many points, but he was wearing a lot Sucks. of armor, and Oof. I was in Polaris for that event, and he's like the respawn was so far away, and I was like astral intervention. <laughs> Vanish. See you in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It works. I, if you, it's one of those like awe insult combos. Astro Intervention Banish is another one of those combos. If you have the time to pull them off, they are devastating because it's essentially uh, go play by yourself for however long it takes you to walk back. And yeah. It's mean and beautiful all at the same time. Um. Do we have any other hidden gems before I explain counter the the weird bluff casting that you can do? Nah. No. All right. Go ahead. So, bluffing a spell uh, is the process of taking the incant and stopping purposefully before it finishes because the spell is not used until you finish that incant. Um, mm -hmm. Now. There is a stipulation you are not allowed to make up fake spells. You have to use spells that you A, have uh, a copy of, and B, you, you are using the right incantation. So you can't make up the I waggle my finger at you spell. That's not okay. That's purposeful confusion. Using the spell but not finishing it is totally viable. And it doesn't take up the use of the spell um, unless you use metamagic with it. Then it uses the metamagic but not the spell. So doesn't it do that? Or am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. Okay, so um, you bluff the spell, essentially. You have it, yeah, but you don't finish it. It's like half cocking a trigger. You're like, I can shoot it, but I don't have to. Um, the reason I put it on this one uh, and not any of the other casters is Hodge, Cads, and Hopper have all done this a lot. <laughs> and I wanted them to uh, give some tips and tricks on how to or like different things that you can, different spells that they like doing it with. So um, what are some of your guys' favorite bluff casting spells? Uh, we'll start with Hodge. Um, no, I'll start with somebody else. I feel like I talked a lot on the last one. Okay, Hopper. <laughs> Stun. Stun? It's done. Well, one, it's um, it's very expensive, right? You, you can't 
take a shitload, like some other classes can take a shitload of like other spells that are pretty good. But um, I think you can only take like a handful just because Four. of how, yeah, just because of how expensive it is. And, you know, you don't want to waste them, but people are afraid of stuns, you know, they're pretty powerful. So what you can do is you can kind of crowd control just by bluffing a stun like let's say that you're kind of in that not like the a line but the b line and somebody's almost getting through or they're coming around a flank maybe you can bluff a stun at them and instead of them charging through i mean they may very well just charge you that sucks but um they might be like oh shit that's a stun and they'll be like oh man i don't want to do this flank no more so i mean that's that's the first thing that comes to mind with offensively bluffing something like that and uh so, yeah. Cats? Um, pretty much any offensive verbal will do. Um, it's not a spell, but it's an incantation, but I've already, we've already touched on um, stuttering your exit incant for insubstantial. Um, another thing you can do, and you have to kind of be careful with this because, you know, there's, it's a fine line between, like, actually bluffing a spell and actually using poor sportsmanship. But if you bluff your teleport, so if you're saying, you know, I travel through the ether, I travel through the ether, a lot of times when someone's like messing up your line, they'll see that you're teleporting and they'll leave you alone because they, 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 they've kind of considered you gone at that point. I'm not going to make it over there in time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Where you don't want to, um, like, I think it would be cheating if I said like, I travel through the ether, I travel through the ether, I travel through the ether because I only said it three times. But if I'm like, I travel through ether, I travel through the ether, I travel through, okay, he's not paying attention to me anymore. And then you run up and, and, and uh, shank them. <laughs> it's their own fault for not paying attention to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, well, pretty much any offensive spell, instead of getting it off, if somebody overreacts to your offensive spells and they run, run away, that's kind of a crowd control all in of itself. If every time, if every time you cast something, they run twenty foot away, twenty feet away. You can not only uh, take them out of combat for you know about five to ten seconds, you can wear them down. You can make them really tired. <laughs> that's uh, that's what I call yo-yoing. I do it to barbarians mm-hmm. with shove. They charge at you, shove them. They're 20 feet back. They start charging again. You start the charging can as soon as you finish the last one. So when they get close, you just keep doing it. And they keep running Herbies back and forth. You can do the same thing with bluff casting. You're just making people, they're like, I'm going to get, uh, I don't want to edit. Cause... Now, on, uh, another thing you can do with bluff casting, because this works, this works absolutely well with shove, is that once they start running away from you, then it's hard for them to turn around and come back to you. So start an incant at them at them they they take the bluff they start running from you then ambulant cast something while chasing them because that works with shove if you shove them and then you and then uh combo with an ambulant spell while chasing them like it's the same theory but it could work on a bluff spell too right i mean there there have been some occasions where i have accidentally bluffed a spell I didn't mean to because I'll be like, I'm going to cast a spell so it'll end up coming out like I'll say half the spell and I'll be like cast it you so that may not be considered bluffing a spell and maybe just fumbling up until the point to where it's like yeah, you didn't 
you didn't get anything off. Good try, but like I was scared for like half a second. Right. <laughs> Let's say it's a it's that fine line between purposely causing confusion and using the the loaded spell. It's kind of the same thing so, as having okay, an arrow in the like, yeah. Here here's a good bluff I've used every once in a while. Um, I was on the field and I saw two casters looking at me and talking amongst each other, you know, making a plan for me. And then, and, (laughs) and then like Leon was called and I see them both walk up to me steadily. I stop and I teleport and then I start moving to them purposefully. And then they both rush me and start casting spells at me. Well, I'm teleporting. I'm insubstantial. And I and I start saying I return to the physical world, and I just see both of their eyes just go <laughs> huge. That is a great read on your opponents there. Just allowing them to, they're like, I'm gonna charge it. Oh, he's in. Damn it! It makes it. It's fresh. It is very entertaining <laughs> when uh, you do have control, and I think that is what angers a lot of people about uh, very annoying assassins is they have the ability to charge at you <laughs> while insubstantial. And it means nothing at all. Like, they're insubstantial. They can't actually hit you, but they can look scary and ghosty and just like, charge at them and see how that goes. It's the same thing if you're casting your own teleports. You choose, you know, the train tracks four miles away is your teleportation location. You can Mm -hmm. come out at any point between here and there and just Mm -hmm. do what you want. It's a common misconception, and I'm not sure why, because it's not mentioned at all in the rulebook, but people think your teleport destination has to be somewhere that you can see. It does not. I, I generally choose... Seven, seven. Yeah. I, I generally choose the other side of the Earth as my teleport <laughs> destination, because mm-hmm. I can pop out at any time that I wish. And if I, for whatever reason, can't, then I die. Whatever. I mean, it's not wrong. Another common misconception um, that people have tried to quote unquote catch me with is that, um, like, suppose I charge a spell ball, like, you know, five minutes ago, and then I throw it at someone. I didn't hear you cast that. Well, you kind of don't have to. <laughs> right. I mean, this, I've been didn't... holding this charge spell ball for the past, like, couple minutes. Yeah, as long as you didn't cast anything in between those time periods, you're fine. It didn't yeah, leave absolutely. your hand. It didn't leave either of your hands, quote unquote, because like you can still transfer it back and forth between your hands, as long as it doesn't become active. Thrown. There's a bunch of weird gray areas on there, but I know I, um, when I was playing healer for a little bit, I would pinch the spell ball between my fingers on my sword hand, and just when someone would come at me, just toss the spell ball because it's it's still a throw. It's still active. It's leaving my fingers, but I'm still able to stick fight with the spell ball in the hand yes works um uh counter casting so you guys do not have uh anything to stop someone from casting besides offensive abilities that are either shove or astral intervention or something like that uh do you find you can still get off kind of almost like a break con with shove and astral intervention or is it more times it's easier just to, to do something else. Um, I'd like to speak on uh, bluff casting quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so for for me, the bluff casting, um, some of the more potent ones to do that with are stun, as Hopper had listed, 
and um, I also really like doing the teleport return in camp thing. Uh, this is how I work with stun, though, and how I think of it. You're, I usually only take two at most. Um, there, there's my secret, everyone. The first one, you use it, and you try to use it and make sure people know what it does. The second one is for when you bluff it, so they remember what it does. And basically, uh, as Kaz was saying, you if the person just backs out of range, you effectively cast Shove without spending any points on Shove or without using any abilities. So, you know, by the power of White Light of Sunny, by the power of White Light of Sunny, they backed up 15 feet. Great, I will bluff cast Shove on, or um, bluff cast Stun on the next person. And so on. Um, and then a good way uh, I've discovered to deal with ancestral armor is to build what I would call like a, a round fake with your spell balls. Um, if you're not able to use the verbals to take care of them, which is generally your go-to with that actually. But uh, I know several times I have, you throw ice balls at the ancestral armor person for two or three times. It might hit their shield. They might catch on and start armor blocking it. But the next time you go up to them with a charged abeyance behind your shield and you throw that at them and they're going to move their shield because you just threw three ice balls at them. So they're going to move their shield and they just got abeyance and they opened up for it. It's a great feeling. It's a great concept that you can use in so many aspects of Amcar too, like especially the fighting part. It's like Jamie does it a lot. Sword side hip. Sword side hip. Sword side hip. Oh, you're expecting that sword side hip because I killed you with it for the past five times I saw you? Fake shoulder. So if you hurt somebody enough, well, not really hurt, but if you kill somebody enough with a specific thing, then you can really make them flinch by making them think you're going to use it another time. It, it does. It, I mean, we're, people are creatures of habit. You get used to one thing and you assume that that is the pattern. And it, when that pattern breaks, it often sets us off and we get confused, which is a, a thing you can use to your advantage. Similar to, um, similar to that, you can use the same kind of sequencing with shove and alternate it with an astro, astro, astral intervention. So like you shove someone a couple times, they get used to that. Their response normally will be to just charge you because if they can get that off, if they can still like swing at you while moving backwards, that's an option. But that third or fourth time you pop an AI, which is national intervention, you pop that AI, they can't swing at you. It doesn't do anything. They just, and it it's, uh, I've seen Hodge pull it off a couple times and it's just stupid to, to watch people like realize they're like, my shot was in motion. You're insubstantial. I don't care. And just keep walking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. You say what you want. Your sword is ghostly. I don't care. Um, do we have any more on, because uh, we mixed these two up, go-to abilities, hidden gems, counter-casting, bluffing spells. Do we have any question, any concepts we want to talk on that? Um, I mean, I kind of just jumped in there on counter-casting so good. I could get my my points on the, uh, the bluff-casting. But, uh, yeah, I have a few things for counter-casting, definitely. Okay, so um, what are your, what are your counter-casting tactics or spells things you use yeah um so a very i have a player at my local park who when he plays wizard he 
usually plays Warlock. Um, so a couple of times when he's played Warlock, I'm like, oh, uh, I should definitely just bust out my uh, Warder build because um, oh, if a Warder gives Pro-Death, which is a level 3 healer per refresh enchantment, um, a Warlock cannot kill somebody or do anything to a player who has Pro-Death. They can still affect their equipment through flame spells, but um, I, I suppose Warlock doesn't prevent you from taking spell balls, so you could get balled, but you know, your verbals, Pro-Death completely shuts down a uh, Warlock. Isn't that why Warlock got phased out very quickly? We realized if you just drop like a Pro Mag or a Pro Death, they get very useless very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Warlockster, it's it's nice, but it definitely has its drawbacks. Um, and as you said, Pro Mag is Pro Magic is very effective. Um, as far as countering somebody who's casting, I find an Ice Ball works the best because it's a short to mid range thing somewhere that you would be using it uh in casting and uh you can have that charged by the time they begin their three to five line in cant so you know just if you got clear line to them toss it you got an engulfing freeze there just drop me you're casting at me no <laughs> <laughs> no. I would like to uh, take a moment to point out spellball construction. I believe Haj, you're using loose rubber bands. Cads and Hopper, what are you guys yeah. using? I use practice baseballs <laughs> okay. that are wrapped in four-way stretch elastic. Okay. Scrap fabric wrapped in more fabric. All right. <laughs> the cheap one. One thing. One thing I really like about my spell balls, and I use the same spell balls when I play Evoker Wizard, they work really, really well, is consistency. Consistency is huge in regards to spell balls. Um, because if every one, one of your spell balls, you know, weighs the same um, and has the same distance on them, then you're going to get a lot more used to throwing them and get a lot more used to your range and you'll improve your range. I might point out range. that y'all probably want to listen to Haj and Kaz a little bit more on the spell ball <laughs> point because... I throw a ball at you right in front of me, and it ends up over there. So <laughs> my throwing ability clearly has not been practiced. I mean, long-ranging spell balls can be very difficult. I've found that going for mid-range at at most is probably more effective to increase your accuracy and your ability to retrieve your equipment. That makes a lot of sense. And I know you've done, uh, and in CADs, I'm guessing your balls also do this. You purposely throw it at a shield pretty hard so it bounces back and you can grab it. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's and smart. I will Especially definitely touch. The balls, like the pre-made balls, like you know they'll bounce, so that's smart. Um, I will definitely touch on this more in the wizard video uh, because throwing is a lot more of a major skill for wizard than it is for healer, even though it, it, it is really useful for healer or any of the casters for that matter. Um, but if you like, I've seen some people who did pitching while they're in college or while they're in high school and they just wreck face playing a spell ball caster. And that's something that you might want, want to give a shot. Like usually there's some sort of pitching gym or some sort of baseball themed gym, you know, or around the area, go there and 
learn how to throw um, that. And the full one thing I will say is that you don't want to go too far. Well, you do want to go that far into long range throwing, but you don't want to do that motion for short range throws because the sleight of hand throw is not to be underestimated. That kind and, of underhand, like quick toss, like it's almost a trend, like a, a weird wrap throw. Yeah. Um, well, the throw where you kind of hide your, your charge spell ball behind your hand, like you cup it, you know, mm -hmm. and then what, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. Surprise spell ball. Like it's, like I said, it's not to be underestimated. Yeah. The, this, the sneakiness of a spell ball could be really ridiculous because as long as it's in your hand and has been cast and nothing else was else has been cast by you between that time and the time you throw it, it's active. It's ready to go. No one has to hear you cast it if they're not within 20 feet. So absolutely. It's a uh, first spell balls. I believe it's 50 feet. Is it 50 feet? Sorry. 50 feet. Yeah. Yeah. So you, do, you have to cast them rather lo rather loudly, but once you ha once you have them cast, uh, you can hide them behind your shield. You can hide them behind your hand. Um, you can you can kind of stand off to the side and hide them behind your body. And when someone charges you, guess what? You had a you have a spell ball in your hand. If they get hit with it, they're frozen for sixty seconds. Yeah. Um, sorry, I was reading uh, one of our questions which I don't know the answer to. Um, so uh, one of our uh, audience members said, if I'm not mistaken, banish still requires you to return to the base even if you exit in sub early. I don't know that answer. Um, I've got that one, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if an effect which causes one or more effects would end all effects that are... Uh, basically put on by that effect and as well so uh to to translate that with an example if i am uh let's keep with banish i suppose because i can't think of another one off the top of my head if if you banish somebody and that banish uh so banish has two effects one effect is that player becomes insubstantial the other effect is that player must return to base um now if banish the single effect which caused both of those is removed. Both of those effects are then removed. Yeah. An another point to make there is I believe that the clarification was what the questioner said for a while. And then they real the people who made that clarification realized how complicated that made things. Because, like, suppose you got odd. Well, what are the effects of odd? You can't attack your attacker, you know. You can't... You can't attack the person who awed you you have to stay away from them so what happens if you that gets released which which uh, which part of are you releasing it just gets confusing and the the easiest way to think of it is that like each spell only provides one effect you release it you release that one effect so are you then releasing the ins the banish instead of coming out of it as you, normal i would say you're releasing the entire banish Right, so you're casting release to get rid of banish, not casting, yeah. not coming out of the insub state as regular, which would be the I return to the physical world. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It is in release. It says the uh, effects imposed by magic or ability with multiple effects, all other states and ongoing effects from the same source are also ended. It's one big pull off, but it's only 
for the single abilities. That makes sense. Clarifications. Um, yes. Getting back on track that we've uh, danced away a couple times. Um, skills or things you want to focus on to get better. Um, either things inside the game or things you can focus on outside the game. Let's start with Hopper here. Athleticism. That's, I mean, that's a pretty short one. I guess I'll go into that a little <laughs> bit more. Um, I think that uh, athleticism is a big one, um, partially because most of the time you will be swinging stick, but another reason is because people will chase you. <laughs> people want to get you out of the game because, you know, you're you're the squishy support, right? All they got to do is just hit you but um another thing is to work on not flinching and not only in just a physical sense of if somebody swings a stick at you you flinch because you're like oh i don't want to get hit in the face but also um flinching when people start casting at you or when people start to come at you that you've trained your brain not to just flinch and go blank so i would say that those are, are two main things what i need to work on which i already mentioned is not getting tunnel vision so yeah <laughs> Being uh, aware of your surroundings, any class gets better by not tunnel visioning on. It's so bad, man. It's so bad. It's uh, it's hard. I don't, I don't have an easy answer to it besides just practice. You're like a lion, and you look over at that person that you want, and they're like a gazelle, and you're like, oh, I could just sink my teeth into it. And then you got this other lion that's like, oh, no, you don't. And you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and you get flanked by a lion. Um, <laughs> the lion gets flanked by another lion. <laughs> just kidding. Just counter, uh, <laughs> counterintuitive. Um, don't get tunnel vision. Cads, uh, you've hit on it before. Casting while doing your hit, your, your high-intensity interval training workouts so that you can cast while dead tired or sprinting. <laughs> oh, and every healer will probably know what I'm talking about here. You are running back and forth across the field, blah, 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 blah. And now you have to cast the full resurrect cant on somebody while you're, <sighs> <sighs> yeah, it sucks. Um, and you have to learn how to do that. You have, you, you have to, and that has to be trained. That has to be, that has to be uh, like worked into you how you can cast uh while um while you're super out of breath it's it takes a lot of work holy crap also just not fumbling your spells when you're tired because uh, mm -hmm. your tongue is a muscle and if you're tired your tongue is still gonna think like this eh, <laughs> mm -hmm. also i'll quote my, yeah i was gonna you know go along with that and yeah it's very cold to cast if your mouth is, or very hard to cast if your mouth is cold oh yeah i've experienced that outside playing i don't understand what you mean when does it get cold <laughs> Shh, texas <laughs> it was never like again today. oh my god yeah casting when cold sucks i'm gonna quote vitalin again we quoted him a couple times on different episodes but uh chapstick is a caster's best friend um so is water Yes, water, yes, I was going to say that don't understand. Don't have know. water with you as a healer because um, it will help reduce how much you get tongue-tied and that just helps to increase your effectiveness on the field. If you can't cast, you can't heal, you can't do your job. 
Also having extra waters for other people, you know, would be very nice. Maybe they it, it gives them healing in another sense. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Fuck pretty em. sure. I believe it was spring war. Uh, somebody was running around as a healer. Oh, it might have been fish. Yeah, it was with with a with a little cart, and she had just bottles of water in it, and she'd offer to heal. Would you, you. like some water? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got heals and water. Take one. <laughs> take one, not both. I mean, you could take <laughs> both, but if you take both, you're probably in a bad situation, anyways. Um, uh, I have lost track. Who has not answered the skills to focus on to get better? Is that been Cads? Cads, I need to ask that question. No, we talked. We talked. We touched on it, but like, definitely cardio. Cardio is something that's going to help you. Uh, cardio with all is cardio, factors. but it's definitely gonna help. Mm-hmm. Run and cast. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. Um, that, for me, when I started, sorry, Kaz, did you have more for yours? Oh, uh, I was just going to say the same thing I said in the Druid video, which is that instead of just doing straight cardio, like a tent, like a like a twenty-minute run. Uh, high intensity interval training does um, more replicate what you're going to feel on the what you're going to do on the field. Like no one plays healer and goes out and jogs on the field for for 20 minutes. They're running here, they're <laughs> stopping. Yourself, they're running here and man. stopping. <laughs> they're, they're they're running here, they're stopping. And high intensity interval training is basically instead of jogging for 20 minutes, you're running for one minute and then you're walking for a minute and a half. Then you're running for a minute. Then you're walking for a minute and a half. Right. That actually sounds very, very good and very applicable to our situation. Yes. Uh, if you don't have like a, a Fitbit or anything that watches your heart rate, I recommend getting one and then watching your heart rate during like fighter practice. It's it's ridiculous because it's like 128 resting, 150 resting. Like it goes to these ridiculous numbers for like 30 seconds and then you're done and you're at resting point while you're waiting to get back into fighting and that's probably what your heart rate's doing most of the time on the field is your your snap action for a little bit back to a little bit of rest probably not down to resting heart rate because you're still under stress but you're getting up and then down and then back up um yeah we've said it several times in different podcasts if you run you're gonna if you if you run you're gonna die tired unless you do cardio <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> So, doing cardio also keeps you healthy, and you guys want to play M card for like fifty years, so do cardio, any form of it. Hit, yeah, I think cardio, my elbows are gonna give it. out first. <laughs> Your what are gonna give out? My first? elbows are gonna give out first. I'm gonna. I thought you said apples, and you were like referring to your balls in some sort of a weird way. <laughs> no. My elbows okay. are gonna give out first because my weird rap shots. I'm gonna be the the oh, caster uh, on this side of the field that's just like pointing like this because I can't bring my elbows off my chest. Oh my god! Oh my god! Okay, I have to share something. With you. It's total. It's, I mean, it's kind. Of, I was playing a healer, so it's applicable. So whatever. Like <laughs> the best shot that I've ever that not I have done, but um, fog. He he's he's a paragon archer, and I like I reached out and I was like aggressively casting at someone, and my arm was like all the way out, and then he shoots me with an arrow from over fifty feet away in my outstretched hand and guess what he says after he hits me in the hand poison arrow <laughs> and i'm like that was the best shot i've ever seen in my life oh my god that brings up a good point you can 
it, it doesn't work for healer, but you could be aware of it. Uh, if someone shoots your outstretched hand while you're casting, you need another open hand because this one's <laughs> <Yes>. gone. <laughs> yeah, and that was the problem was that I usually have a shield. So like I had to like throw it down, but by the time I threw it down, he was like, poison arrow. And I was like, I mean, as as long as he said poison arrow there for the second time, um, of yeah, course. Yeah, it was the second time. I didn't hear him okay. the first time because he was so far away, which <laughs> made the shot so good. Sounds absolutely perfect. Just picking I know, it was up. amazing. <laughs> Just counterspell people by hitting them in the hands when they're casting. <laughs> yeah, aggro actually has done that to me. Um, and Just I... Slap their hand. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was casting at him and he just chopped it off. And I just like, no. Quickly. Yeah, I, I'm still a little bit unsure on how I would rule this because then my response was basically to I didn't stop encanting it at any point, but I immediately then dropped my other sword to open up my free hand to continue my cast. And he was like, mm, no. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Yes, that is, that is kind of a weird one because suppose it's so seamless though. Then like even if yeah. I mean I don't I don't know the rule book like the back of my head. like I can't quote other classes like you guys do like bless you for real. <laughs> but if it was seamless, then like even if it was against a rule that I don't know about, like fucking give it to him. Just like okay, okay. That'd be, that'd be kind of a thing where like technically aggro's probably right, but if I were reaving, I'd be like, well, he, you know, if as long as oh, you drop the, uh, I'll allow it. As as long as you drop your weapon and get a free hand within like a reasonable amount of time. I mean, it's, it's a similar it's a similar thing for like dropping a shield that's been destroyed. You know, you don't like you're not cheating for those 0.5 seconds that you're dropping the shield. Right, right, and it was like where uh, I think he was technically correct because I did not preemptively drop my other weapon. Um, so that's I would have turned where around it's kind of gray area, and then start casting again. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it falls under the same thing that we have the magic hand swap in our game, where you don't have to drop the weapon upon uh, losing mm -hmm. that arm. Yeah, it's more of a realist, realistic approach to like, yeah, you lost your arm and you can't give something to the other arm with a dead arm because it's supposedly gone. But yeah. like, we accept it. We understand it's a game. Right. I think it falls under that same kind of boundary where you can transfer. You have that that opportunity to transfer from right hand to left hand. I think you have you should have that same opportunity in casting. I would say you have to stop the incant until you open the next hand. Yeah, yeah. I, I would honestly restart if I was in that same situation, but mostly because if somebody slaps my hand, I'm going to fumble, and I'm probably going to fuck it up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Bleh. Oh. Um, <laughs> so I'd like to touch real quick on uh, what uh, our current topic. So... When I first started as a healer, um, one of the reasons that I wanted to be in casting was because I learned that I suck at fighting when I first started Amp Guard. That's oh, not true too. anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, me too. Well, and Hopper, I think you and I sort of started in like a, maybe an inverse fashion because you said you started more on the fighting side. Yeah. Um, and I started more on the casting side. 
and um and i did that because i realized that i suck at fighting so but maybe i can be good at yelling words at people um so i i grew to excel in that and but then the area where i was lacking was still in my fighting and i had not put any uh effort into improving that and when i did begin to improve on fighting it really helped my overall casting ability because now you are um, just more versatile. You're more threatening in that close range. Um, you, you're somebody who can, you know, survive a little bit better and possibly get kills. Yeah, um, and not, not only that, but um, as as you start to fight a little bit more, you'll notice, like, in the very beginning when you play, you're like, oh, my God, they're swinging so fast, I can't see it. I can't make <laughs> out what's happening. And then after you kind of get used to being in the fray and maybe fighting people a little bit more, it's almost like you achieve some sort of a spider sense, or not a spider <laughs> sense, but, like, everything starts to slow down a little bit more as you get a little more accustomed to seeing it. So even if you're not fighting as a healer, you can still use that ability. I guess that kind of goes back to, like, what abilities are, are good. Getting used to swinging stick can help you your world kind of slow down and you can kind of focus on, is somebody going to hit me? do I understand the distance between myself and them because I swing stick all the time? And it can help. And I totally agree with you. I think that, you know, practicing your stick even as a support can be amazing. It can help a lot. I have a kind of a story uh, around this from when we started doing Phoenix League. Um, a friend of mine, an Avrin, who's one of the smartest guys I know when it comes to battle game tactics, we, we debated uh, back and forth on whether or not I should, as a wizard, take a short sword. Um, because, like, it is two it is two points, but still two points. Like, technically, if the, what if the short sword's a crutch? And the, the um, thing that we decided on was after watching other wizards go out there who didn't have a short sword, and we found that we could just kill those wizards at will. You could just close on them and just murder them. Because they have no way to defend themselves from melee. But if you have a short sword or, or something, um, it takes a little bit more time. You can be a speed bump. And now, to rushing that wizard with, with weapons or that healer with a sword and board, it's not a guarantee that you're going to get the kill. Wizard you know, they're, wizard they're, not, they're not really quite that, as much of a, as a, of a gazelle. They're, they might not be a lion. But they might be like, you know, someone capable of like defending themselves, you know. I now realize that that analogy was very presumptuous of calling myself a lion. I am no, in no way a lion on the field. You are a tiger and you wear those stripes. Um, <laughs> hey, girl, hey. hey. Um, if, if, a, if a wizard has no weapons and you're close to them, anyone is a lion. <laughs> that's That's true. Now, the only exception to that is when they've got that dangly... Oh, crap. I forgot if Gift of Air is a white strip or a yellow strip. Uh, it's a white strip. It's a white strip. They got that dangly white strip, and they're like, Gift of Air. Pandemic, don't feel that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, that's the only time when I see... Actually, that's kind of weird to think about. My mindset presently, in Polaris at least, is whenever I see a wizard without a stick, I assume Gift of Air. Because yeah. otherwise, <laughs> why not? It's two points. There's only Force Bolts down at that level of Spellball. And uh, Force Bolts are good. But if your stick game is moderate to, to better, especially in single sword, it's probably more effective. And 
-hmm. it doesn't disappear when you throw it and have to go find it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you're throwing your sword, you should probably stop and rethink your life. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm so lost. Where are we? We are on uh, skills and things you want to focus on. (laughs) Uh, are we, are we good with the other questions we've gone through? Do we have any points to go back on? No. Okay. So what are some weaknesses you guys think we need to be aware of? Um, we'll start with Haj on this. Hmm. Weaknesses for healer. Um, I guess your offensive capabilities are a little bit limited by, um, you know, just naturally, you don't have too many weapon combinations. Uh, you don't have armor options that are listed squishy. within your class. Yes, you're squishy. squishy. Um, uh, and then I uh, also, okay, so that's how it's limited, like, in the rule book. But uh, healer's really limited, I think, also by... Uh, or not limited, but determined by, I guess, the skill of the person who is playing it and just their analysis and their uh, skill, their speed in casting, things like that. Um, So if you don't have somebody who has those things um, optimally balanced the way that you need them on your team for your situation, that can be a weakness as well. That makes a lot of sense. Weakness in the person, not on the, the class itself. That means the class is probably well-balanced, not... (laughs) Well, as Hopper said, we're squishy. That's kind of our big downfall. Uh, That can definitely be overcome through teamwork and other tactics. Uh, But I think the biggest and most important variable is the skill of the person who's healing. That makes sense. Uh, Cats? I would say, um, and Hash touched on this a little bit earlier is that the archetypes that you select or the, the neutrals like necromancer um they go give you huge advantages they also give you huge disadvantages if you take priest that means you can't attach any meta magic to your teleport to your spell balls or m- probably most importantly from a support standpoint uh to your release and that's kind of where, where where like my necro priest build came came into play like that's that's my go-to build is not because of a greater undead minion necessarily, um, but but because what that allows you to do is it allows you to take greater release, experience greater release, and get that greater release back through steel life essence. So you can kind of overcome your weaknesses, but you know you're still not. That makes you a lot better at releasing, but you're still not quite as good at releasing as just a pure non priest healer because that pure non-priest healer can swift their releases and ambulate to release and <laughs> extend a greater release. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. extension on a G release. Yeah. Yeah, that's spicy. <laughs> it is spicy. So uh, but you can't do it if you're, if, if you're a priest. Um, that said, priest gives you huge advantages. In fact, I'd, if you're playing a pure support healer, in a massive game, I highly recommend taking Priest and finding a way to work around the weaknesses that it gives. But you still have to be mindful of those weaknesses. And it does cut a lot, a lot of your offense out because now you can't use metamagic on your offensive verbals. I, yeah, I, I 100% agree on both points that both of you guys have brought up is that it's, it's the subclasses and it's the squishiness. 
Um, and I oftentimes feel that when people mess up on, it's partially the versatility of the class. So you have all of these subclasses that have these major weaknesses that they have intentionally input into the game because of how versatile the, the class can be. And that I think that when people make that priest mistake that they'll use that meta magic on, a, on something that they shouldn't or that they can't given that they've taken it. And because they can be so versatile, maybe they have different spell lists and then they're like, oh yeah, oh fuck, I just cheated, oh no. And so I basically feel the same way. It's the squishiness, no armor, and the subclasses. Now the, the squishiness you can counter, uh, uh, you can fight and get an advantage on by going and finding a friend who's a druid, right? <laughs> That's an answer to your problem. Um, an answer you might not always have, though. True. Definitely. Yeah, our game is uh, made 110% better by teamwork makes the dream work, and we'll hit it in a later question. Uh, who you team up with and how you interact with other classes will make you a a way more influential effect on the field. If you know how you interact with different classes on your side and on the opponent's side, you'll find ways to make a difference that you by yourself never could and it'll it'll make a huge difference overall because instead of being worth one person you're now worth three to four in a 10 person game that's a huge upset um i mean in a 200 person game it's not that big of a difference but if you got like 20 people doing it you've now come (laughs) you've now flipped the odds and and you now have you know essentially 20 extra people worth of work coming through because it's uh, it's being done either more efficiently or more intelligently. Um, all right. Got some weakness. Uh, weaknesses you're going to need to be aware of. Uh, recommended tactics. Target acquisition both offensively and defensively. And uh, the slightly weird question, uh, but an important one, especially at higher levels in, in kingdom fights, uh, who do you choose to heal and enchant? So we'll start with just some re- recommended tactics, and we're going to start with uh, Hopper on this one. Uh, so recommended tactics is knowing... Um, well, I guess that's the second part of it. Target acquisition. So if people are messing with your front line a lot and you're in that sort of center line, and or if you're like right behind that front line, if someone's casting at maybe the warrior or at the, the person fighting in front of you, countercast at them. Target acquisition, you know, they are making it to where your front line can't effectively do their job since they've got the armor and the stick. So take care of that problem, you know, crowd control and get them to move away, keep their focus on you so that the person who is swinging stick can keep their focus on what they're good at. Supporting, straight up support in that fashion. Just making sure that whoever's doing their job is able to continue doing their job. Oh yeah, I mean that's. I mean, if I had to sum up this this podcast type thing, then it's like, yeah, help people do their jobs. Okay, podcast is over. <laughs> See you later. Thirty seconds. We're good. Wrap it. Done. <laughs> Haj, uh, recommended tactics. Um, I'm a huge fan of Gift of Air. I I think that's very it's very good for healers. It's very sneaky. You can teleport around with your ice balls and just freeze up people. You can be places where you're not really expected to be, like on the back line. 
Um, <clears throat> so that's always fun. My main tactic has, and kind of how I made my namesake has always been greater undead minion. Um, a tactic I definitely like to use with that is something I touched on earlier, the battlefield commander thing. You're, you're in a key location where you can see what's happening on the field. When your gummies come back to you, tell them where to go. Uh, you know, hey, we need some help on this right side. They've got a flank pushing. Let's get all the gummies on that side. You know, do that. Um, that's probably one of my favorite things to do. And also, this is not entirely related, but playing gummy for me, um, or playing a necromancer and taking gummy is really a great thing for new players, for players who don't know their abilities. Um, and a lot of new players will play assassin or monk. Um, it's just wonderful for, for you to tell those people, hey, you essentially have unlimited lives. Just come respawn at me and just mm -hmm. go out there and have fun. Like, if you die, it doesn't matter. Like, you're not even going to negatively affect the game's death count, whatever. Just go do your thing. <laughs> Picking and choosing. Making making the new players feel welcome. Good tactic. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, effective. Yeah, it is. I mean, nobody expects the, uh, uh, what was it? Rayhawk did it at one of our events where everyone was supposed to be level three. He just took a ton of blessing against wounds and no one expects a bunch of these mm -hmm. noobs to have a point of blessing against wounds. So you like warlord shot him. You just hit him in the chest and turn and they say point and your back's already two of them. And you're like, what? And now you're dead. Oh, <laughs> Should have double tapped. Just always double tap. Learned my lesson. Cads. I'll expand on something uh, Hodge said on the perfect target for a uh, undead minion, and this is something that there were such good targets that my fighting company would go around and seek them out while we're hanging out at the event the night before a big game. Dag players. Dag players <laughs> who are showing up to Amp Guard is are amazing targets for greater under hey man just come back to me don't worry about that respawn shit unless someone says this specific thing or or this other specific thing because they're they're basically playing dag like at that point like um all they have to do yeah is play monk they get to ignore most spells and they just go out there and you tell them what spells they have to pay attention to heat what like heat weapon and dispel and that sort of, sort of thing and they just go out there, they kick ass, they come right back to you, 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 you bring them back up. They're essentially playing DAG. If you've ever been to like a DAG event, that's how their games are kind of are kind of go. They're instant respawn, you know, that sort of a thing. It's a lot more and line just fighting. Super, but... Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm talking more about like at, uh, at like Ragnarok and stuff like that. It, it is a lot more line fighting, but there are a lot of uh, skirmishers out there it's and fun. stuff like that. It's fun. Yeah, it's a lot of it, it is a lot of fun. I'm just so, imagining like Errant Dawn running around with uh, a bunch of gray sashes with already built in strips on them and just like wear this. <laughs> just like yep. going to the next person. <laughs> Don't worry about it. So yeah, um So yeah, we seek out dag players, we we do that. Um Another thing to touch on that was touched on before is Blessing Against Wounds. Blessing Against Wounds is something easily cast in the middle of combat. <laughs> and it's, and I believe it's a per-life enchantment, so you can take a ton of them and just constantly recast it over and over. 
one point goes a long way when someone's not expecting it. Like mm-hmm. a really long way. It's really, oh, who did it? Somebody did something weird. They decided to put it on a warrior. Um, I would never think to do that because like they've got their heart in. They can't wear the heart in and the, the blessing. But if you get through all their armor, you're like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and you're just like running through it, trying to get through as much as possible. And you get down to it, and you're like, "I got the kill." And you turn, and they say, "Point." And you're like, "What?" <laughs> it's the same reaction every single time when you don't expect they have a blessing. You forget to keep rolling. It's so nice that it, it doesn't count towards the the player's enchantment limit. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, one last thing on tactics. Um, a bunch of warriors in full six point armor. And a single water healer that's with them is one of the most bonkers things in Ampgard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is ridiculous. Now, are you putting Pro Mag, E Soul, or? Yes. <laughs> you take. You take. You, <laughs> Any if you're those. playing a water healer, you can, you can take water. Um, eight. You can take eight Pro Mags then, and ten Enlightened Souls. Though, just so, like, because I mean, Pro Mag, then you have the difficulty of, you know, casting your healy bits on them. Yeah. Well, they get cursed yeah. when yeah. they die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Enlightened Soul is good, but then you can, you can ice ball their equipment. So both of them have their, both Pro Mag and Enlightened Soul have their drawbacks, but they both have the huge advantage of being immune to verbal spells and having um, several points of ancestral armor. Having a bunch of warriors charge your line with like, with with Promag on, and even if you're up against a dispel-heavy team, um, like, they're going to get a dispel off, and then they're going to die. <laughs> because if the warriors are being super aggressive, and they and those warriors know, yeah, let them dispel at you, and then kill them, it's it's just ridiculous. It's, one, it's probably one of the single most uh, broken thing is an app guard to the point where they nerfed it in Phoenix League, where they limited the amount of uh, pro mags and enlightened souls you can take. I mean, <laughs> when we were having wizards and bards be part of the meta, and then you put a pro mag on someone, the bard and the wizard just look at each other like, "What? What now?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the bard, especially because they got nothing to do. De- they're like, "Oh, I don't have a D mag. I am now pointless. I have a stick. I yep. have a stick." Um, and now when we're enchanting these players, especially with the higher level enchantments, are we using persistent on this every time or not? Um, you can, uh, when, when we were doing it for Phoenix league, we weren't, uh, just because persistent is another point of six level magic. And it was like six, six to one, half a dozen to the other. Mm -hmm. Are you guys using persistent on the enchantments? Uh, you can't persist as a priest. Uh, I just like to point that out. Um, mm-hmm. Quite a big limit. I, um, I don't generally take persistent unless I am playing warder, and I don't generally play warder. Uh, not that it's not good. I just don't usually do it. However, um, persistent does have its place on some enchantments. Um, on your more powerhouse ones, like the uh, enlightened soul and the pro mag. It's a little bit more viable. Um, and then there's... So if you are a priest, the only thing that you can persistify would be 
your mass healing and your phoenix tears. It's a little bit pointless to persist the phoenix tears as the enchantment falls off when it's been activated. Um, and putting it on mass healing is only applicable for yourself. And I'm not saying that that's not a good option. In some cases, it might be. Uh, I don't you generally heal pretty easily, even though it's a long-winded spell. If you can swift heal, then that's usually the the workaround. Unless I mean, right? Yeah, but like the, the drive-by heal, though, <laughs> it's not yes. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so or funny. like <laughs> healing yourself in a fight without needing to open up a hand or stop at all is so good and. Um, if you're playing, like, combat medic, where your stick is really important and you need to be on the front line fighting with your team, then I think having a uh, persisted mass heal is a little bit more viable. Otherwise, I don't usually take persistent unless I'm taking warder, in which case I take persistent. Yeah. You got to make those enchantments stick. Mm hmm now, do you take the extra step in some, especially in the larger battle games, when you do persist something, do you go tell those players to go find a bard with sleight of mind to make sure that all of your work is not undone by a drive-by wizard? Um, I usually would have that coordinated ahead of time if we're going to have a bard with sleight of mind. Um, so I would usually try to keep them uh, close at hand in the like casting area mm -hmm. for the start of the game. Um, but I, I don't think I've ever done that personally. Yeah, I mean, I feel like more often than not, um, the people that you end up enchanting are the people who like to swing stick more than cast. So then it's this whole other conversation of what does that do? And then you're like, go have fun. <laughs> One thing I'll touch I on is... Go have fun. Don't worry about it. One thing I'll touch on is what's better, water or summoner? And that question is re is really simple. Do you have a lot of people with f close to six points of armor on your team? Then Warder is really, really good. Do you not have that, which your chances are you're not going to have that? Summoner is really good. I mean, um, like another point on enchantments is that uh, if if people aren't used to wearing enchantments or even counting points of armor or something like that then mm -hmm. um they they will forget that you have given it to them yes that's and, very annoying <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's unfortunate but um it's something that i've come across a few times and been the dumbass that i i do it myself right <laughs> people aren't usually giving the healer another enchantment right uh so i will pick people that i if it's an expensive enchantment, then the people that I'll choose to enchant are people that that know how it works and that are that are looking for it, right? And if somebody really needs it but they don't know it, then sometimes I'll be like, "Hey, do you want this?" And even though it would work out really well if they had it, they're like, "Uh, no, I'm okay." They would, they would. I would. I don't push it, right? If they're gonna forget that they have it, then it's almost better that I don't. And I also don't usually run enchantment builds, so. It's a lot of investment in the the party and the team. If they don't know what the enchantments do, then your time to put the enchantment on is wasted, and they probably won't understand. Or you, I think that's yeah, something that both druid and healer have a huge right? problem with. I just tell them, like casting doesn't matter mostly so yeah. that one's really easy but the other stuff is 
sometimes hard to explain. Right. If you have to explain two points of magical ancestral armor to a new player, that's rough. Like, Druid Druid and Healer both have the same situation, at least Warder Healer, where if the, the people you are enchanting or you want to enchant aren't prepared or in the mindset of knowing what enchantment is, how it works, what they should be doing with it, it oftentimes is less optimized than just keeping them alive and letting them swing stick. Yeah. Um. So here's the other bit, and, and this is this is one that I, I think is a little controversial, quote unquote. Um, but Ooh. it can be used uh, either to grow your park or to be really effective on the field. At a large battle game, who do you guys choose to heal first? Like, if you see uh, a monk, a warrior, and a, uh, we'll say a wizard are are wounded, who's your first heal? I don't think that the class really matters. I think that if somebody, there, there are plenty of wizards that, you know, maybe their stick is pretty useless, but they're, they can decimate a field with their with their casting more so than some warriors that um, maybe might be kind of good at stick. So I think that I think the question of which class they're playing is almost irrelevant, and it's more dependent on the individual player themselves and how effective they are on the field. So, cho- so choosing your target for who you're going to heal first or who you're going to res first is dependent on what build you have, how many how many reses you got in your pocket at that moment, how fast it's going to take you to get somebody up, um, but just who needs to be up in this moment, right? So if the flank is doing, so the scenario that I might have is the flank is doing a really good job of flanky flanks, so I want to keep bringing those guys back because they keep fucking up and like they keep bringing more people over to that side and then you send more people on the other side, to do their thing so um uh, yeah to answer your question i feel like it's less dependent on the class and more dependent on how how strong the individual can either get the objective or kill people yeah person over class yeah kaz you look um, like you were about to say something yeah i i wholeheartedly agree people not classes um it depends on the situation most of the time it, it could be like um, it could it's who is the biggest threat it, it imagine that you're picking you know a team at the beginning of the game and you have a choice between these these three people to heal who is the larger threat to the opponent at that given time usually it's the it's who the largest threat is in general but it could be like you have you have an experienced old dude you know, who's injured, who is a warlord, but he's old and, and he might be slow or a little fast kid. And the goal is to capture the flag and the flag is right there, <laughs> you know. So it, most of the time you want to choose who the big threat is, who the bigger threat is. In this case, the uh, somewhat slow warlord. But sometimes the situation calls for you to get a lesser threat in order to accomplish an objective. Mm hmm. You just have to be mindful of that situation. And uh, uh, what did Teflon say? Um, objective, objective, objective. You've got to yes. pay attention to what the objective is. If you're not paying attention to the objective, you're not paying attention to what the game's goal is, and you're not 
trying to win, really. Yeah, like that one guy who, like, doesn't swing stick very well and, like, doesn't know any magic, but for some reason he's really fast and he's really good at running, and you're like, we're playing capture the flag. You're rezzed first. Now, <laughs> Go get it. now there, can be, there can be situations that you're put into, like, where if you're on a team, you know, in a team setting, like, as in a planned team, like, your fighting company is planning stuff, then you might say, like, okay, these three people are going to worry about the objective. Everyone else be mindful of the objective, but we, we want you focused on healing and support. Mm -hmm. And that is completely reasonable. You're the only person who can touch the, the skull. Huh? <laughs> I mean, not literally, because it's not jogging, but I mean. Class you know. jogging would be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Imagine playing Phoenix League. Uh... <laughs> Um, Phoenix League is there. awesome. It is awesome. I'm just imagining throwing some jugging rules on top of Phoenix League. Like, you have one <laughs> quick. Uh, you have to like match up the class lineup. Oh, that'd be such. That'd be so weird, and people would get more mad than they already do. Mm -hmm. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> That'll um, be something else. <laughs> for me, the res, uh, the res, um, target acquisition. I would. So I'd, I'd want to know a little bit more information about um, our respawn mechanic in this situation. So it kind of depends uh, on if it's like a timed respawn or if it's a group respawn, um, <clears throat> etc. I would also ask those players who were dead, uh, like the warrior, how many armor points did you have left when you died? If they had none, like if everything's gone or even if everything's gone on their chest, uh, I'll have them wait to natural respawn. Um, I would probably go with the monk in that situation as they have the fewest amount of per lives. They don't have armor to worry about. Um, and with the wizard as well, like they may need their per lives back. Uh, I'm not disagreeing though with the points that were made um, by my peers about um, anal analyzing what our uh, which type of person we need right now as well. But I do think it's important to consider uh, basically you you can get like a free super mend, uh, a free spadoinkle on that warrior if you just don't resurrect them. Right, the, the way in the balance. Because it, it is a few, and we did talk about that earlier. If you, if it, Is it worth bringing someone back to life right now where they don't have their points of armor back, they don't have their per lives back, they still, uh, like, they might be going back in the field half ready, basically. Or is half it worth, hard. yeah, like, or is it worth giving them the extra, I mean, the other thing is, is it worth giving that warrior in six points the extra 45 seconds to a minute of rest to let them get back on the field and be ready to, you know, continue wrecking face? Instead of like, all right, get back in there. I know you're tired, but keep going because it could be uh, uh, potentially problematic. Sucks to be you. <laughs> I also on that plate. I uh, I believe I generally always heal my um, my gummies first because I'm the only one who can heal them. They have to come to me to get popped. They all uh, you can also pop them very quickly and. Mm. I never underestimate the value of simply having bodies in front of me as a healer. Like, I even sometimes say to my gummies, like, I need you to stand in front of me for a second while I res the rest of these people. Yes, zombie shields. 
and then if they get shot or something, like pop them back up, no problem. Right. Then get everybody. Now everyone disperse. Makes sense. Using using your resources, which in this case are dead bodies that you have made live. Yeah. Use your resources. Um, combat pairings. We're gonna start with Cads on this because he is uh, on the uh, is it three time winning Phoenix League team world champion something 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 winners. yes <laughs> yes but i don't play healer <laughs> okay but That's you the, guys have that, combat pairings we do um so sort of what we we have one systematic team uh on the thing but we do um we do have combat pairings in massive battles and throughout that like i usually pair myself well first of all as a healer you're going to have your undead minions um second of all my favorite uh class to pair with is a druid because the druid can give me can give me iron skin and i can and yeah i've already touched on how great ancestral armor is uh for for a druid or for a healer because yeah. you can sit, sit in the second rank. Um, you can, you can just block spell balls and uh, arrows with your armor all day. So that's a good pairing. Uh, monks are a good pairing for, for greater undead minion. Warriors are good pairing for, for uh, pro mag. If you're playing warder, if you're not playing warder, Phoenix tears on a warrior, that's probably the best, the single best class uh, to give, to give phoenix tears to um a good strategy that i used once is i gave phoenix tears to farley farley charged their line killed a bunch of people but he, he was in turn well killed because of phoenix tears and i heard him and i heard him say phoenix tears frozen and i walked up the, and i greater released him and when you get greater released when phoenix the frozen state ends even if you release it, they still get all their armor back. So now they had a six-point <laughs> warrior in armor who's a really good fighter behind their lines, and that was really and that was that did not turn out well for them. Um, so yeah, uh, I'd say druids a good pairing because they can provide you with enchantments and your magic armor, your gift of air if you want. Uh, monks are a good pairing for greater and minion, and warriors are a great pairing uh, for all of your enchantments. Hodge. Um, <clears throat> as Cad said, uh, monks great for your gummy, warriors for your enchantments, um, druids to protect yourself to give yourself more sustainability. I personally really like Gift of Air. I also like Iron Skin. Um, you can wear those in conjunction as well to protect yourself even further. But keep in mind that your Iron Skin will trigger taking a point off as your as your Gift of Air triggers as well. Um, but it, for me, it's mostly for the pro flame, so you can't get called lightning. Uh, I also really like um, having a bard, a battery bard, um, because healers have so many per life and rechargeable um, spells that they use. Having a battery bard um, can sometimes just sustain you to a point where you are like a wall on the field. Uh, I remember one time Balder and I, uh, so I was playing healer, Balder was playing bard, 
and then we had another battery bard who was sort of running back and forth to support us. Um, but he, he and I were holding off mm, at least 15 people just with crowd control um, and then and recharging our abilities. It works. I mean, that especially if you take Priest, like a ton of your abilities become chargeable and uh, Song of Power becomes way more viable for a bard because it's like, oh, he has a million and a half rechargeable things that I just cut in half, rounded down. Like a lot of them, I, all your all your meta magics go from a charge times three to a charge times one. Like that's super quick. That's awesome, especially if you're using innate. Like great, you just cut that <laughs> that recharge down for the the resurrect. You went from a charge times five to innating it, which turns into a charge times one when you're in song of power. Like that was the fastest turnaround ever. And all it took was your friend, you know, stepping back and singing Song of Power for 35 seconds or whatever. Um, it's it's a good combo. I know I always looked for you on the field when I was playing Bard because your Phoenix Tears gives me a free slot for my protection enchantments, which are all of my songs. So, as long oh, as yeah. I, yeah, as long as I wasn't singing Song of Survival and then died, uh, I was fine. <laughs> Hopper. Um, I, I really, I've, I've said this so many times during this podcast, but, um, I really like the, the fighty, the swingy swing, wacky bats. So, um, uh, again, being the, the stick heavy kingdom that we are more often than not, I'll end up being a pocket healer and that might end up being like a, like a self-fulfilled prophecy sort of thing, just because I like to fight. Um, so I'll end up pairing with somebody who is like a monk or a warrior or something like that and just end up doing the pocket healer type bit and um, more often than not what will end up happening is it's this little flank or this little pocket of people in a game that will push and then they'll kind of fall or maybe they'll um, they'll get legged or something like that, and if you weren't doing your pocket healer role, then they would have fallen back, and then that, that line kind of goes back and forth with the objective, but since you're there, and um, the pairing that you have with those martial classes, you end up pushing a little bit, they maybe get wounded, they get healed, push forward a little bit more, um, and that's that's usually how it ends up going. So my pairings, personally, end up being with martial classes. I mean, it, it's, it, it is situational on your kingdom, and that's something why I'm trying to get paragons from all over, so we're not just being like, this is what Polaris thinks. Yep. <laughs> Polaris is amazing, though. We are amazing, but we have a very specific and particular meta, and we've kind of progressed it really far without asking the rest of Ampguard if they're okay with that. Like... <laughs> There's some weird things that I've realized of like, we're like, we don't do that anymore. And other parts of the kingdoms are like, oh, we just learned that. And it's like, oh. It's kind of like seeing the the accent in fighting. Mm -hmm. So if you are maybe raised the torches, then you throw a lot of, uh, maybe you have like a board heavy type of uh, fighting style. And if you're raised by like the rogues, then you have like maybe a different fighting style. And then you go to like a kingdom that's way farther away than that. And you have these other fighting styles. And then um, outside of the fighting 
area you have the the combos you have the metas you have all of these things that if you are around long enough you're like yeah i think they're from the north (laughs) (laughs) you can start to sense it a little bit i mean it makes it easy when the uh the caster messes up their spell and they go oh and you're like midwest (laughs) (laughs) oh no uh um combat pairings uh all right so what i in my opinion is probably the most important question that we have to ask ourselves as paragons and anybody going for paragons how do we get better and not ruin people's fun because we're here to grow we're here to get better but as a game we have to keep growing otherwise we're shrinking so uh what are some tips and tricks and things that you guys have learned on how to get better in small or large increments but not ruin park days and everyday fun for everyone else uh cads i would say healer is the perfect uh one for this um because the only really real way to ruin people's fun as a healer is if you go super offensive healer um which you can do there have been people who who i've seen play healer like that where they take all the offensive spells they don't take healer res or anything like that and and they just go like that and i would say of all the caster classes healer is the worst class when it comes to that for doing that as i as i've said before so the best way to not ruin people's fun is to play your support healer uh on a class game and you're just exist to make your team awesome and if your team sucks then you're probably going to lose because the healer like is is pretty much only as good as their team so a pure support healer will probably not ruin everybody's fun but still get the opportunity to cast your spells get better and see those weak spots that you can try to help other classes step up in making that uh, that battle commander um, kind of tactic come through Yes. Yeah. It's a good way to do it. Hopper? Uh, I very much agree. A a healer is usually only as good as their team, but um, the thing that... Back around fighting again. That you don't have to win a game to work on or practice getting better at a small, smaller portion of your class. So if there's a lot of newer players at your park and you're maybe one of the only um, veteran players that are there and it's a life pool game, maybe just don't don't be a priest. Just let it play out, you know, just because, I mean, if they're all new players and they're all kind of in the same skill bracket, then then you could very easily turn the tide of a game and nobody would really notice. <laughs> they would just call time and they would be like, it's, it's 50 to 1, and they'd be like, how? <laughs> Something like that. Um, so even though you're not the face of it, and more often than not you're only as good as your team, that's really the only scenario that I see that making a huge impact uh, in terms of, of not having fun because usually people get more frustrated at the the instantaneous moments of maybe the the warrior that decided to come out in like five to six points and they're the only person on the field sort of thing so um, I really don't see healers ruining people's fun all that often um, even though you can turn the tide of a game so uh, sometimes I will just simplify my spell list 
uh, if it is maybe just a bunch of newer players, because, you know, you, you change the tide in the background, and maybe you just decide not to do that. Working on specific aspects instead of uh, wrecking some side of the field or some aspect of the game. Right. Mm-hmm. Haj? Um, <clears throat> so... I agree with Keds in saying that uh, you can take fewer offensive verbals to um, make it less unfun for your opponents. Um, I think it's it's more challenging to make healer impede the fun of other people just due to its support nature. Um, not that you can't do it. Uh, you can definitely do lots of offensive things. Um, one of the things I mentioned earlier was, you know, putting the gum enchantment on newer players. Uh, and as Hopper was saying earlier, when players don't know how to use the enchantment, it's it's not fun for either party. Uh, but gum is a really good one for that because they don't even have to remember till after they died and they're like all the way back to respawn and I'm standing there and they're like, oh yeah, wait, you're my respawn. I'm a zombie. Um, so that's wonderful. Um, otherwise, I think too, even when you do take a decent number of offensive abilities, uh, including Astral Intervention, Stun, and Ice Ball being my three primary, I don't feel that that is um, as impeding as something like wizard can be um because uh it's just less effective i suppose um if i'm gonna banish you i have to astral intervention you and then banish you not that that's any fun um it just happens less effectively it takes longer to to pull off instead of just like a, a one and done spell where something like excuse me something like wounding you just take somebody's leg and then you literally leave, you leg and leave them from 20 feet away is kind of a dick move um love it <laughs> healers don't have that opportunity as much you've got to combo your things together to try to like make certain things happen uh but you still have some of those unfun spells like stun is no fun for anybody besides the people that cast it like you get to stand there and hope that they kill you or you can take a death and it's Either way, it I sucks. Was, when we were talking about stun earlier, um, so stun is actually less good than people think it is. And uh, this, I would like to explain why. So mm -hmm. when I burn my first stun on somebody, because uh, that first one is, is going. Like, I don't usually bluff that first one unless I can, but I don't even. Okay, so you stun somebody who's 20 feet away from you, who's in a line, okay now what like you're not approaching <laughs> to kill them because they're behind they're in the line um if they have a support class right near them they noticed that that person got stunned so they're just gonna get released like your stun was wasted and if your first stun is wasted your second stun is not scary um stun is much better in a one-on-one -on -one scenario or in a scenario where they just don't have a way to answer it and that person is just stuck. 
Line fighting is so very difficult because sometimes that can apply to some of the best spells. That could even apply to an ice ball if you toss it into the fray and they're behind the line, right? You can't push forward, so you could release somebody from almost anything. Mm-hmm. They can get released and you lost your ice ball. <laughs> no! Full circle! My ice ball! Um, one thing I've discovered when taking spell lists is that unless you're in a very specific type of game, like like say Phoenix League, where where it's very very you know short and quick and you know very fast paced, but I would say the bulk of games people fall into a trap of buying a lot of per refresh or per game spells, when you will be a lot more effective almost always if you stack a bunch of per life spells and a bunch of reusable rechargeable spells mm -hmm. because. If you take one stun in a long, like say it's a long game, like a half hour game, you get off that one stun and that's, you know, that's that point. <laughs> that's that one point of six level magic. You just spent it. It's gone. But if you use it on a, on a per life spell, well, how many, how many lives are you going to have in that long term game? Because if it's a game where like everybody's dying a lot, that one point might go to, towards casting like 10 spells. If you can recharge it, <laughs> that one point might go for even more. So um, like, like I said, unless it's a very specific short-term game, you're probably going to be better off spending that one point that you're going to use for stun on something else that you're going to use over and over. Right. And that's the, the uh, sustainability versus uh, like overall kill. A lot of our kill and high level spells are per refresh. They're a one shot yeah. kill. But if you can figure out a way to make release a kill spell, that's way easier. Mm -hmm. Like you mm -hmm. get a million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and those things that we can continually use over and over again. And that's why I think Barbarian suffers the most is it doesn't have any of that continuation where other classes do have that opportunity and the, the casters especially because we get to choose our spell list we can go into a battle game knowing it's going to be a 45 minute fight and go i've got one per refresh and it's on recharge i'm going to be full the entire game i've got a battery bar that i can go back to i've got other things i can pull out like i'm, I'm going to be a full like full threat the entire time because they're per lives they're easy to get back and all my points are going to be used every single life Somebody on the other side of the field is just going to be like, oh, he's a healer. He's limited. And you just like whip out your dick like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Suck it. I got stuff. Um, so root, how to get better, not root people's fun. All right. So now we're into um, opinion sections. Uh, there have been various opinions flying around amp guard about the length of the heal spell. Um, and for that matter, resurrect as well then. So. Some people are saying that because heal matters so little technically in a game that our lives take 30 seconds to get back, is the healing can't worth it? And should the healing can't be shortened or should we uh, keep it the same or even go back to V77 where we have to say the uh, sword cut spear stab stuff between every other uh. line? Uh. <laughs> The uh, healing can't's pretty short. What isn't it just Swift the White Light of Healing at Fieldy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've got the right spells, it is. <laughs> there are workarounds for it, so I think that um I think you bring up an interesting point really about what our game has turned into, um, considering that a lot of people will 
make games where we have multiple lives and uh, unlimited lives for objective-based games. So then the heal spell becomes almost almost useless, like not useless. There's just so many more ways that you can work around it, and half the time people just, like, if they get legged and left, they'll just take a death if the healer's somewhere else, and then they'll just come back. I mean, maybe they might decide not to take a death if they have an enchantment, but um, that is an interesting point that I haven't really thought about, that there are other ways to bring people back or that other people choose to return to the game because of our almost always unlimited life type of games. But I've, I mean, Haj and I have had phone calls in the past where it's like, okay, how fast can you say the heal spell? You need to say it faster, like for it to matter. And so it, like, I can say it fast, but <laughs> more often than not, um, people don't really need the heal spell so I think that it's less of a it's less of a heal spell length question and more of a just how we choose to play our games right um, I know I one of the points brought up was uh, for the amount of gain that heal gives it should be a one line or like two line incant instead of this paragraph of poem I do wonder how our games would change if it was you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, would people play healer more often? Would you have more support on the field just because of how maybe you would have a lot of the, the selfish healers, uh, meaning that someone is, is fighting and being that squishy healer, but they just they just have that selfish heal in their pocket and then they keep going because it's so fast and they the levels don't really matter because people just kind of play level six no matter what. <laughs> so, um, I think that you would see more healers if it was shorter. I think that's the main thing that would change. Yeah. Guys, you look like you want to talk. Yeah, um, I'd say I, I could see heal, heal uh, being shortened. Not resurrect, though. And, like, resurrect, priest especially, was kind of built on the swift um, metamagic, you know, be, that kind of almost always being used with resurrect and the only reason uh you would not swift resurrect is if you're running out of juice so like if you're running out of, of swift and this guy needs to be res right now so and, and and i have had to cast full reses before because you know it was a close game and i was i had res charged but i haven't had swift the time to charge swift just, just yet and and that those times it is valuable to know how to get off resurrect really fast uh so but I can see heal being shortened because there's very few times when you actually do uh, want to cast the full heal spell. It's kind of usually a bad, uh, it's a bad decision to make. And we want to encourage people to heal people and not just, you know, take a death or wait until, you know, wait until they die because res is just so much more worth it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of a thing is that like, if I were to, if I were in charge of say, changing the rules or v9 that one of the first things i would say is how do we make death matter a little bit more losing the enchantment part is definitely a a good thing that they put into the rule set like uh, newer players may not know but if you choose to take a death or take your own life then um you you lose the enchantment so i think that's one way that they tried mm -hmm. but i mean 
again, because of the way that we choose to play games, you can just go to the respawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Hodge, you uh, famously-ish got the spell... You got the incant for heal down to, like, it was something ridiculous. Was it 6.7 seconds or 7 seconds? It was something ridiculous. Yeah, I think it was just under 7. I think 6.7 was probably my best uh, on one of our car rides. Just a ridiculous speed that (laughs) I don't know anybody. Maybe somebody could match, but, like, that's a ridiculous number to get a paragraph into. I'm sure somebody's topped it. What you you have to look at, too, is the... um, the clarity of when you're saying it like i mean i could say it faster you just wouldn't be able to understand it you know um but i've recorded myself too and then slowed it down and you can hear each you know word and syllable and separate them even though they all flow together yeah Uh, that's that's just practice Uh, i practice a lot while i drive i haven't in a while but you know just (laughs) doing that i've also noticed that like generally your first attempt is your fastest because after you do that and you're like okay let me try again now your mouth is tired all right (laughs) so now imagine you've been casting like all day you're probably not gonna hit that seven seconds but it's still important to try just so that you have that leg up so that your tools are sharp for when you need to use them Mm -hmm. and this is something to say with uh, Reeves, and it's a really good thing that uh, Hodge brought up that he that he played what he said back slowly, and you can hear every syllable. Mm-hmm. I've met people who who claim to have like the heal spell down to like really short, and this was this was more in V seven when it was a lot a lot longer, and you need to do the sword cut spear stab after each line. They're like, I got it down to ten seconds, and you listen to them, and they do not have yeah they do not have it down to 10 seconds and and if you look at like the guinness book of world records like the the shortest paragraph you know like the the fastest talker they're claiming to beat that guy (laughs) like and it's like no there's no way um so that's kind of something for reeves to do and something that uh that I would like to encourage Reeves to look out for. Like when I first started AmpGuard, I thought the incantation for hold person was the words command stop three times because that's what everybody was saying. <laughs> and it's not. Like you, there's it, it, there's like command stop, command stop, command stop. And then there's I a command thee to stop, a command thee to stop, a command thee to stop. You know, so yeah. the, you, you do have to pay attention to the, that stuff especially as a reeve because otherwise you're punishing like wizards who and casters who actually take the time to uh, do their spells correctly. (laughs) There's a my in front of shove. There's an I in front of odd. Like there's a bunch of these, you have to say something and everyone just kind of goes like, "Eh," and they're like, that was my me. That's not the (laughs) same word. (laughs) You gotta say all of them. I met a healer once who he said the heal and resurrect incredibly fast. Um, but his diction was way off. Like, he was super Garth. fast, but the, word... <laughs> <laughs> the words were simply omitted or just blurred, and it was it was really bad. He got oh, his parachute out of it. My friends. Yes. And, I mean, the, that's the... the ultimate argue like argument for changing the heal spell is 
people aren't really using it anyways to the its full potential. Like they're using Swift Heal, but if they are using the full heal, they're very rarely actually saying all the words or they're missing something or they're like for the longest time I added broken before bone and there's not a broken in that statement. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Bone. <laughs> I was like, so would you change it to the just the first and last line then if you had like an opinion on that? Uh probably something along those lines it, there's been different debates on what it like it, this gets really really weird meta like how many words do you have to say to make x amount of effect on the field and if we use like shove as a boundary it's like i command the shoved three times or my no that's, that's the wrong spell my power shoves the okay. wow i just bungled that my power shoves the so it's four 12 you have to say 12 words to push someone 20 feet so if that's the influence on the field how do you match a 20 foot push to a heel what word limit do you need to mix it up and things like that and i'm not gonna try to fix that answer i i uh, i'll let other people try to figure that out <laughs> but we just we just got my kitty as a special guest star yeah kitty <laughs> i saw jess's uh dog in the background a, a little while ago um, on the bed. but uh it's i don't know we'll see what happens in v9 if they decide to change the heal spell to something shorter uh or if we fundamentally change the way we play games and the heal spell becomes much more important again because it is uh it's more important to keep someone alive with that heal than it is to just let them potentially die um oh no we lost kaz's video <laughs> I do think in general that they shouldn't go back. I mean, I didn't play the previous versions of, mm -hmm. of the game, but um, Jamie tells stories all the time that what would end up happening when lives did matter more is that when they were usually limited and then you had to sit out for however many minutes per life yeah. you had, a lot of people were like, well, I mean, I guess I don't get to play anymore unless I'm really, really good. So I guess I'll just go home. Right. So I really hope that they don't go in that direction. I don't think they, they probably will. won't. They probably won't. Yeah. I agree. I think that's the opposite of what we want. We want more. We want people to be able to play. One of my mm. biggest. Um, Even if they're bad. <laughs> oh, especially if they're bad, I think. Because oh, that's. Wait, wait, too far. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are the people who need the field time for improvement. And those are also the people who. Very true. You, we want our game to grow. So we want these people who are coming out for their first time to have a great experience. Um, that's one of the reasons I love Healer, too, is because you are able to more easily give that to new people. Whereas I'm playing Wizard, like, uh, my job is just to shut people down. So, sorry <laughs> if you're new, but you'll be doing nothing. <laughs> um, that is hot in a nutshell. Yeah, for real. Uh, my, my opinion on shortening the heal spell, um, I wouldn't, actually, because I feel that it gives importance to uh your swift it makes your yeah. swift that much more valuable um <clears throat> so now if, if swift is basically only going to be used for resurrect then you always have swift resurrect like it i think it makes that too oh excuse too easy mm -hmm. um maybe they would but, also shorten the limit 
on Swift. I mean, Swift is already limited to, uh, I think it's the two, but mm-hmm. um, maybe that would end up being smaller if you were only really using it on one of your longer spells. And then the other longer spell is like uh, Gummy and um, P-Tears. Mm-hmm. But those aren't... <laughs> Those aren't nearly as widely used, in my opinion. It depends. I mean, yeah. Yeah. good suggestion. And I'm used to t- being taking a necro priest, which means I have to encant the entire incantation of Greater Undimmed. Yeah. Ha! I do like. I will state the game. The whoever wrote those incants, because I know that different people wrote different parts of the spellbooks and the the whole game as a whole. Um, whoever wrote heal resurrect greater undead minion and undead minion i like that they follow the same format that's really nice um it allows you to learn them all kind of at the same time without um having to learn like a bunch of really weird incants like the druid does like lycanthropy and corrosive (laughs) mist and a a bunch of the spells are like song lyrics basically and you're like i don't know what this has to do with anything but (laughs) eh at least uh, healers got some kind of like mentality to it. Um, okay, so uh, we've got audience questions. Uh, we answered most of them. The one that no. came up that didn't fit very well was: uh, is any is there a level one through three healer build type that is particularly simple both to play and to play with and around? I'm thinking of small parks with of new players that come to park. Are small packs of new players that come to park with the idea that one of them will play a healer. How do I give them advice on a build type so that the little pack of the new players will have fun? I'll say right off the bat, I've only ever played six level healers, so someone will also have to answer this one. <laughs> Whoops. At least in V8. Whoops, I totally uh, messed up. I'm doing push to talk. Um, but for the build... Honestly, I would probably just, um, I would give them some of the the smaller uh, sort of crowd control or the offensive spells, like up to level three, I believe that you get, um, what was it? I'm pretty sure Astral Intervention, correct me if I'm wrong, but there there are some offensive spells that you can have as a healer. And then of course you, you still have heal um, but I mean, you don't have the the swift, so you can still kind of you can take some weapons and then maybe play a selfish healer while you get that heal spell down since it's since it's not shortened in our current game. Um, and then you can also have those uh, simpler offensive spells to kind of get the casting bit down so i think that i would take a little bit of the offensive spells maybe a little bit of weaponry since you don't have the higher level spells and be a little bit of a crowd control while you get used to saying the heal spell um i think it is challenging to have a new player not only to have them play healer, but to have them want to play healer, or to have them enjoy playing healer. Because at at a, at a lower level, <clears throat> or rather at a level that you don't have access to swift, that means you need to say the entire heal spell, um, or resurrect incant, and 
as we were just discussing, that can be a challenge, and especially for newer players. And, I mean, for somebody who hasn't memorized that spell, it's basically off the table. Like, it's essentially not even an option to do that. Um, Because your best option would be to read it off of a piece of paper or as it's written on the back of your shield. Neither of those are great options. Um, But it's that's where you have to start. Um, So once you get your heal spell memorized, it doesn't have to be fast when you're starting out. You need to have it memorized. Um, That's when I would recommend playing healer because otherwise you're not going to have fun with it. Your team is not going to enjoy having you as the healer because you're not effective at your main role. Um, with... I mean, one thing you could do is you could take you could take innate, right, and then that would maybe um, help with some of the charges. Like since you get resurrected level three, but <laughs> that's really one of the only shortenings that you get. Like you said, without swift, that's hard to do. Right. Um... Yeah, you'd cut down on your charge time, but it's the, there's just the hurdle of... It's not um, the same. <laughs> I just, I, I wouldn't want somebody, you know, to have that pressure put on them as a new player and then to basically fail and think like, you know, man, I wasn't able to do my thing. It's just, just go in prepared. Um, Builds character. And, you know, Let him fail. There you go. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody needs that pressure, but, um, you know, and if you're going to go into the game with your spell list written out, like with heal written on there, if that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do to learn. Um, but there are, uh, at level three, like you said, you get medium board, um, you have offense, uh, some offensive spells, astral intervention, shove, ice ball, if they have ice balls as a newer player, if somebody can lend yeah. them something. Yeah, oh, that's great, that's great. Um, entangle balls again if they have them as a newer player uh, otherwise though just a basic sword and board healer um, and then take your first few field days to try to learn the heal spell go for it um, don't expect too much of yourself right away it's din din time <laughs> lucky you um I lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, you also have so something that I I, I realized on that. Uh, if they're at level three, you can give them the undead minion. They have the undead minion, so there's some uses oh. there if they want to play that. Um, and they don't. What? I said, and they don't. Yeah, <laughs> they don't. If someone wants to play an undead minion, I mean. Yeah, I don't even know if I would. I would use undead minion. I mean, I didn't. I didn't learn until I didn't learn about like the necro type stuff that you could do um, until much later on. But I mean, I don't. Maybe I'm just looking at it from like a level six point of view. But it's like, fuck undead minions, useless as shit. But like, that's coming from like a why take undead minion when you could take gummy. So right. maybe I'm just looking at it from a weird perspective. I mean. It's the same kind of idea as like contagion or something like that, where it makes a weak. It's it's a trade off spell instead of a straight up advantage. It's a right. you get some benefit for a downfall, and I mean if those kids the the pack of players want to just run, if they're playing you know uh, monks, 
at level one. Uh, I mean, they probably don't really care if they get if they're they're fragile. That just means they get to run back to their friend, get rezzed, and then go beat someone else. Like, it's a lot of lives. It's it's a <laughs> it's a cheap way to do the greater undead minion. They're just fragile. But that also means they don't have to deal with the leg and leave or the uh, get armed. And now you have to figure out how to fight with your offhand. You're just yeah. dead. Go back. Get to the field. Um, I think it depends on your group of people. Uh, what their intentions are. What the field is going to look like. Um, talking over with the players what they want to do. I think is probably your best bet on that one. Um, bronze boy. Uh, we had another question is taking a flail really worth it or is it better just to stick to a medium shield why not both that was yeah por que no los dos <laughs> my favorite combo is a flail and a small shield I mean that's what five points four points five points yeah small shield is the same number of points as uh medium shield for healer it's just at a lower level so then so then it's becomes easier to take that hinge mm -hmm. i have found though that a newer player with um again this is coming from a kingdom that has a lot of players that use sword and board if you are using a hinged weapon since it's so a hinged weapon is three points and a short sword is also three points. So if you don't feel like you can get around all of these sword and board players, then, and you're maybe newer then a hinged weapon might give you the opportunity to be that one pump chump, but like, at least you can get around the board if you're having trouble with it. So it, it really is kind of based on your play style, but I have found that it, people, aren't used to it at least down here because a lot of people will just use a sword so it might it might yield more results of killing people if you get stuck in a bad situation it's also uh i would not put a flail in the hands of a new player just personal experience um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, where does it go and we get enough headshots from new players with straight sticks Giving them a hinged is probably just asking for trouble. Um, just my opinion. Uh, so those are the the ones that we had posted. Um, do you guys have any constructive spicy takes about healer? Spicy takes? Like any hot takes you have about Paragon or healer. I'm, I was asked if I should bring this section back from my first episode, which was basically Broton, myself, and Balder... Uh, doing hot takes for like 30 minutes about Paragon and stuff. And some of it worked. I'm going to have to Google All right. hot takes. I, I guess I'm just I, confused. Here's a, hot, here's a good example of a hot take. If 100% of the time you play as, an, as a, you know, respawn healer where you sit at respawn and um, just recharge, re recharge, summon dead and resurrect and all that stuff, if that's all you do, you probably shouldn't be a Paragon healer because you're not demonstrating. I think, I, yeah, that would be a hot take. I mean, there is a time and a place for it, but if it's all you can do, then no. Yeah. And no. <laughs> <laughs> we want versatility. Opinion, uh, Paragon um, is, is able to play the class in like every way. Um, and I think Kat's touched on this a little bit earlier, 
but a healer is one of the most versatile uh, classes. In my opinion, it's the most versatile. Uh, second to Bard, um, and then to Druid. Uh, and what I mean by this is you have the most different ways to play the class rather than the class basically being um, railroaded. Uh, so with wizards, I, I find them to be the least versatile in the ways you can play them because wizards play mainly DPS. You can do a little bit of support, but it's mostly DPS. That's 90% of your gameplay. Healers uh, can completely switch it up. You can be offensive, you can play support, um, you can play midline, anything. You, I like to play as an annoying mosquito. Um, take <laughs> Gift of Air. <laughs> gift of Air and Spell Balls, and then Verbals, and then you go around and you just annoy people. But there are so many different ways you can do it. Um, I had a lot of fun writing different healer lists. Uh, one of my later ones was the Assassin Healer. You take two short swords and as many, so you can play Florentine, um, and then as many like Assassin-esque abilities as you can. So you've got your teleports, your ambulant banishes, your uh, circle of protection, all that stuff. Like person. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> Hold person yeah. is life. Good stuff. That's yeah. Nasty. And I can see an argument for someone like who doesn't, who only plays he, like one style of healer for Paragon Hood. If they play that one style really, really well, like the be, like one of the best healers in Ampguard really, really well. <laughs> They're like, the thing that comes up with that is if you have like the best healer at amp guard, they already know how to play the other styles. Like you don't get to the top of the top by only playing singles. Like if you look at even yeah. our top tier oh, fighters, absolutely. none of them are top tier fighters in just one section. They are good in everything else. They may excel in sword and board. I mean, but only because the fighting kind of translates to, to everything that you do. So, I mean, mm -hmm. if you're good at healer in one way, it's probably going to translate to other things that you do. Yeah. Like you said. Don't, if you just, I mean, if you get really, really good at Resbot, which I will say, I've seen some Resbots that just literally nonstop talk for like 30 minutes through a battle game while I'm sitting there singing Song of Power, and they just like res someone immediately go into a recharge of all of the abilities they just used and then go straight back into the res. Like if you can do that for 30 minutes, I I'd like to see you play the other ones, but then I'd probably be like, yes, that's fine. That's, that's a lot. Yeah, of that's my, my quip with it is that um, the amount of time that it takes for someone to go back to the respawn is a lot of wasted time when you could have just been closer. Yeah. Yeah, I have, and I have seen uh, healers run Greater Undominion, who all they do is sit in base and re restore their Greater Undominion. It's like it would have been a lot better if you would have gone with the Greater Undominions and then been been right there when they needed backup. Yeah, I mean, it's they're just a limited yeah. class that's going back to respawn anyway. Yeah, <laughs> that's something I've seen, and uh, it frustrates me a little bit whenever I play heart of the swarm as a bard and i'm like all right resbot crew 
move out. And they're like, what? What ha- What do you mean we're moving? And we're like, I'm moving the respawn. We're going over there. And they have no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. I guess that could be a hot take from me. Um, but something I see healers doing at what I think would be wrong. Maybe this could go back to tips or whatever. Um, but uh, don't stand at respawn when you are playing resbot. You need to stand like 50 feet away from respawn, 50 feet towards the front line, because your summon dead spell has a 50 foot range. So you you essentially move the respawn up 50 feet while you do that. Mm-hmm. I guess something else I would have liked to know when I had started out, um, when you cast summon dead, uh, you can move after <laughs> you cast it, and then the player who you summoned has to move to your current location. I loved doing that. That was fun crap. We did a keep. Like, you summoned my corpse, and then you sprinted across the field. <laughs> yeah. And- People hit it along the way i'm dead i'm just i'm trying to get to right. my he sprint like he sprinted along the line i think you cast it on two other people as well like you stopped cast it at someone else and then kept going and we're just like all trying to keep up with you <laughs> it was a ridiculous it was like oh that, that it's a great way to move people to where you want them they have to come to you now like now it's like a group race <laughs> <laughs> all right everybody get in line I needed you on this flank, and I didn't have time to explain. Ha! <laughs> drag people with you. Do we have any more constructive spicy takes? I say constructive because some of our first ones were not constructive. What is Paul's <laughs> take on the selfish healer? Right, so they don't they don't take much. They just end up being uh, like a fighter that just wants to take the heal spell. So. What, what do y'all think about that? Definitely not the optimal way to play the class, but probably a lot of fun. <laughs> I think it's, it's a- um, great in smaller games where your stick is more important, so maybe you need to be the fighter for your team. So that means, no, my mass healing persisted. Those are for me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Can you res me? You're not on the list. <laughs> Sorry, my resurrect is self only. I am the bouncer and the club. Uh, I mean, it it in like a large battle game. If you're being a selfish healer, there are other classes you could play and be better. Let's let's say that you want to learn how to play an offensive class, offensive casting class, and you're a six level healer and a first level bard. Six level healer will probably be the more powerful of your of your choices, but I'd start working on that bard. <laughs> yeah, I could probably switch to to bard. That I might mean, be. as soon as you get to level three, you've got Oz, and then you just don't care about multi person combat. You just are a one on one machine because you're like, oh, there's five people, you odd, 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 odd. You, you yeah, you just single target people because they're not odd or you insult them and they get really confused um because people (laughs) always forget that insult means they can't attack anyone else unless they get attacked and they can't target anyone else unless they attack it doesn't mean they have to move to you 
They can go yeah. run off in the opposite direction. Yeah. They just can't do anything. They can't target anyone, including themselves. No. I love but, the role play of it, though, where it's like, I fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> that is entertaining. I did see aggro found a way around it, which was a really smart way to do it, because I used the same tactic uh, on him when I used awe. If I awe someone, I will often charge at them and hold my sword back and say, I am not attacking. This is not hostile. And they have to stay away from me. He did the same thing with insult. He got insulted and then he ran into a fray and said, I am not attacking. This is not hostile and got beat on. <laughs> so he got like points taken off his armor. But as soon as they attacked him, he could attack back. He just countered the insult by by using yeah, a situation. Feels pretty, pretty skirting line. <laughs> I, I felt it was fine. I charged at him at the same time using awe. Like I was not attacking. I did not cast at him. If you charge at somebody, even if you claim like this is not hostile, but like, come on, it's <laughs> technically not hostile. Technically, that's which is the best your, kind of right. Your perception. Technically, technically correct. The best kind of correct. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I never swung a stick at him. While he was under awe, I never cast another spell at him while he was under awe, so I didn't break any of the rules. I did sprint at him at full speed. It was your body language. <laughs> See, but that's the problem. Your hostile body language. We don't have a term. We don't have a, a specific breakdown of what that means. So it it is weird. <laughs> like we had to literally break down what it meant to me to move directly back to base with tele or uh, with uh, banish and directly to your location with teleport we had to break it down that like you have to move at a moderately swift pace because people are just like i'm getting there i'm going <laughs> that way but i'm getting there eventually they changed that you have to when did that change because i like to walk slow well it, so they said direct basically it was stopping people from taking a left turn and going way off in the wrong direction oh, towards yeah yeah, yeah. It, it does have to be direct but it does but it doesn't specify speed no so you have to move <laughs> probably, towards it right it's probably like the path of least resistance to the base is yeah. probably how it would be defined because there are certain things you're not able to step yeah. through or step over but yeah I need to go straight through that warrior. So I'm going <laughs> to do... <laughs> well, like, I mean, I, I've considered sometimes just, like, walking into people, like, oh, you're in my direct path, bro. <laughs> bro. It's, it's, yeah. We need some more definition in our book, but we'll see what it comes to. Um, I, I usually just kind of, like... If I'm going to run into somebody, then I know it says direct, but I'm I'm just going to, like, take the tiniest little, like, half circle mm -hmm. yeah. around. That's a safety thing more than anything. Oh, like, yeah. Like, if, like, I'm, like, I'm dead, right? And then there's people fighting over me, and I'm like, I'm moving for safety, but I would still like to be rezzed, please. Right. Exactly. I mean, because that could be a real big problem. If we decide to teleport a six-point warrior, and we're like, that's your line, and he just barrels through 15 children. Um <laughs> He's a bulldozer, and he's like, I don't care. He's I follow the rules. <laughs> he's insubstantial, <laughs> so technically he doesn't touch them. Technically. <laughs> but he can be seen and heard, and all of the children are screaming. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do we have any um, more constructive spicy takes? I, yeah. Constructive. Um, this could be considered something. Uh, <laughs> something I thought of earlier and then forgot, just remembered. But... Um, playing as 
healer uh, for me was my first class that I took seriously. Um, and it taught me so much about the game. Um, and I think that's it's because it's a support class. So I learned um, basically what I need to release people from. Like, you learn what answers you have primarily, but now you need to learn, okay, what am I answering? Um, and it that taught me how to also prioritize what I'm going to answer. Like, uh, this this person is stopped. Well, I don't really care because this person is is frozen, <laughs> and we're gonna fix that first. Um, and that also taught me then to learn all the other incants so that I could react more quickly. Um, so when I hear somebody begin an offensive incant on one of my teammates, I can more quickly analyze what answer I need to come up with. Um, and I don't know if I would have gotten that proficient had I started with another class. Um, but I, I do know that Healer taught me so much uh, just because I needed to know all the different answers and when to answer them. Your interaction. If you are going for Paragon and you don't know how your class interacts with every other class in the field, not necessarily better than those people that are going for Paragon in that class, but better than the average person, you're probably not studying hard enough. That's one of my takes is like you, you have to know you can't be amazing at just your stuff because your stuff interacts with everyone else and you have to know how that reaction happens. So if you come across a situation that you've never been in before, you know how it should play out or you know what you can do to get out or advance that situation in the way you want it to go because otherwise you're going to get in a bunch of situations that you're not prepared for and you're going to freeze up and not have uh, you're not going to play well. You're going to absolutely yeah like at the very least knowing that you know classes are immune to certain abilities like you can't say certain things to a bar bar probably gotta shove them mm -hmm. can't tell you how many abeyances i've thrown at a bar bar <laughs> or paladins have a, an immunity to command and death so if i gave him immunity subdual with protection from subdual then yeah that's going to be awesome on that paladin completely agree so, very so very good talks so what is he immune to everything that matters all right <laughs> yep <laughs> like the only you look at that you ask that you ask what they have on their their enchantments they state it and you go all right i need a wizard that has heat weapon or a druid that has heat weapon because otherwise this is not going well or lightning bolt to the shield <laughs> lightning bolt to the shield will work as well you just gotta have not most classes yeah like a bard looks at most paladins and ants that paladin and he goes so somebody else has got him right i i don't yeah i'm not dealing with that <laughs> about face somewhere else <laughs> i'm out oh i guess uh another hot take i have um it's not necessarily constructive just sort of an opinion thing on how to gauge your um re reflecting on your skill level so in my opinion one paragon should be able to handle roughly three to five 
average players, um, average or lower tier, maybe. Well, I suppose, I whatever. Um, we'll just say yeah, average three, players. Uh, right. I, I would say for the most part, average players are uh, less less skilled, just because our our average does consist of a lot of new people, mm-hmm. right? So. When I say average, I don't mean mid-tier. Average is usually more like lower-tier fighters. Kind of like the average amp garter will probably not have five warriors. They'll have like three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, I, I believe personally a Paragon in their class should be able to handle or require three to five people to deal with them. Um, or one Paragon. I believe that Paragons generally can cancel each other out. Uh, when they're opposing each other on the battlefield. Otherwise, that balance is three to five of your average players. Um, one way that I've gauged this is I once I froze five. It was a it was a 5v5 game, a small game in our park. But I froze the entire team with one ice ball. The same <laughs> ice ball. Just kept bouncing it off people and picking it up. I would love to hear that story. That's a... That's a I've done that before, and it's a really good feeling. That's why you got to get bouncy spell balls. So you can just like, pa pa. Like, you throw it, it hits their shield, you catch it again, you keep incanting. I can reconsider my fabric. <laughs> one time I actually caught the spell ball off the bounce. Just only one. Every dope time stuff. That That's like awesome. bouncing an arrow off of multiple shields and pinning them all. It's oh, great. God. Um,. But the that is kind of the statement that we are asking for a Polaris specifically, and I think we hold our paragons to a, a a somewhat ridiculous standard sometimes, where we ask them to be stupid good at battle games, um, and then we also just kind of ignore the fact that we should role play and have costumes and stuff, um, which Hodge did a very good job of having a costume for different styles. Uh, I did not as much. Um, I'll be a hundred percent straightforward on that. My I got my paragon, and I realized I was like, oh. I role played like twice <laughs> and we don't do a great job of making role play uh, off main focus, but we do make sure that our paragons are deadly on the field, regardless of what class they are. And that three to five ratio, I think most of our paragons ask for a five ratio more often than not. Um, Cause it is, we, we want them to be really, really strong and really, really powerful. Um, I mean, just as there are ranges in Paragons, there's ranges in Warlords. I mean, somebody mm-hmm. has to be at the bottom. Yeah. But it's also, the to your point of the Paragon should be able to counter a Paragon, that also comes with knowledge. Like, if I, a Paragon Bard, goes up a uh, against a Paragon Paladin, my ass is grass. I'm done. I'm not <laughs> going to have a good day. Like, there is no point for me to try that fight. Uh, but knowing that, I should never go 1v1 against a paladin. I should go get a friend that knows better. And that's, I think, another part of the Paragon experience and being a top-notch Paragon is you can go look at the field and be like, I am useless on the right flank. There are three paladins and two barbarians. I'm a bard. I will have no time to do anything for them over there. I'll go someplace else. Um, And realizing that you do have weaknesses and where you are utilizing your time and and abilities is just as important as knowing your abilities more of the time in my opinion 
Yeah, but if you look at the whole fucking field and you're like, nah, (laughs) (laughs) maybe reconsider. (laughs) That's true. We don't have nearly as many warlords and and, uh, sword knights uh, up here as you have in Texas. So there's way less paladins. Y'all are really new compared to the CK, so I mean, that shit takes time. That's true. Blood, sweat, and tears. Um... Paris also doesn't takes. have as big of a fighting culture. That's true. We have a much bigger battle game and strategy culture, which I mean, Dungeon Day is no, we don't have anything even close to that down here. We're getting more role players, though. That's good. That's a benefit. Do we have any more constructive spicy takes? I've got something, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I wasn't really sure how this fit in, but one thing I really enjoy doing as healer um, is playing in quests. Uh, healer is my favorite class to play in quests. Um, you can apply this slightly to battle games as well, but you get to play politically when you play healer in a quest. You can be everyone's friend. I um, I did meet one healer one time who was doing a similar thing in a battle game. He had Gift of Air. He was on the enemy team. He was in the back line being an annoying mosquito with ice balls. But he would also offer to heal us sometimes or release us sometimes. So we're like, oh, okay, sure. I mean, he'd still hit you with an ice ball sometimes, but he'd also heal you sometimes. So whatever. Um, Questionable morality? (laughs) (laughs) I'm on Uh, my side. Especially though, in quests, you can really leverage your abilities to your advantage. Um, You can get free stuff from people, like you can get candy and soda for healing people. You can get in-game currency. That's usually how I charge. I charge in-game currency for my abilities to people. And I just wander. Like, I'm the wandering healer who, like just ends the quest with a whole bunch of currency and like like soda and stuff that people give me it's so much fun like i i don't usually care about game objectives too terribly much but it it makes it so much fun to uh oh yeah i don't i so oh go ahead oh no you're fine i was just gonna say like when i play healer i just i just kind of do my thing (laughs) <laughs> so I like healer for co- for going on quests uh, for an entirely different reason. And that reason is this. What are monsters generally good against? What do monster what what do monsters uh, give players a hard time with? I will say that five undead minions is not the answer to that question. Five undead minions will destroy just about every monster encounter. Once I was in a quest, and there was a monster guarding something that we weren't supposed to get, and that monster had a polearm, and that polearm swung siege. Uh, which, to people who, who don't know, means that if it hits you or your equipment, you, you're you dead, and your all your equipment's broken. You fucked. Well, story short. one of my minions, undead minions, dodged the polearm and pinned it to the ground with his weapon. He didn't get hit with it, so it doesn't count as a hit. <laughs> so cheesy, but we while he was pinning this this pole arm, we stole all the quest items from that area. 
<laughs> Amazing. <Nice. laughs> I mean, what am I... it's an endless supply of bodies you're kind of just throwing at a wall. like. Yeah, and most monsters don't have dispels or anything like that that usually mm-hmm. counters Greater and Dominion. So. No. One of my first um, is for a quest, which I've unfortunately never been able to pull off, but it still sounds like fun. Set up a necromancer toll bridge or a toll road. <laughs> so I was in the rising winds and I wanted to get five gummies to just hang out with me on this main path. And every time somebody passed through it, just make them pay me or have all the zombies attack. <laughs> I couldn't get enough zombie volunteers, but I mean, it just sounds like fun. Even if that's all I did, the whole quest would be like sit by this main path and jump out like a bridge troll mm-hmm. <laughs> pay me or all my <laughs> yep pay me or all my minions will <laughs> attack alright so uh, I think we're going to open it up so everyone can, can talk we've got two questions that are loaded from our audience so give me a second here and hopefully this uh, this setting works well and I don't have to unmute everyone individually uh, oh shit what up did it work I I think they're still muted um, oh it is still server mute this is annoying okay <laughs> I'm just gonna have to go through and unmute everyone so while I'm doing this tedious annoyingness um uh, our first question was uh, opinions on adaptive blessing versus adaptive protection from Omet. I feel like since adaptive blessing is just like cheaper, I would probably take that. Um, both Maybe. of them are kind of lame, honestly. Like they're yeah. they're good for very specific things. Like if you like, like I said, uh, um. A protection from subdual on a paladin is pretty good, but the blessing is still per refresh, so you only get one, you know, and then it's gone. If it were, that's one thing is that if like the blessings were, you know, per life or something like that, or chargeable somehow, they'd be worth it. But not the adaptive really. blessing is per life. Is oh it? yeah, is it? it? Is. I don't think it. Is. Oh okay, adaptive blessing is, but the protection is not. Yeah. yeah so that that was the only reason. I gotcha. Okay, so I'm wrong. I'm wrong there, but I really don't use either that much unless I'm doing some. If I'm doing something really specific with a specific person on my team who wants an, ad- an adaptive protection, I'll get that. But adaptive bluffing, I rarely take. Uh, Hangman said, "Adaptive blessing is for setting up patterns, make someone resistant to subdual until the enemy gets used to it, then switch it up for command or sorcery." Uh, adaptive protection is great when combined with a persistent because it's usually not high priority for dispels, especially with dangerous terrain, persistent AP, uh, adaptive protection, flame half your team in a bridge battle over lava. Uh, yeah. Uh, I like the idea of using the per-life one to kind of trick your opponent into doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, it that that is true. Um, one thing. Then it's kind of based off of you dying, and you shouldn't be dying. Or a battery bar giving your stuff back. One one yeah. rule of thumb I t- take when making my spell list is like, 
when I look at things like adaptive protection, adaptive blessing, those are things that might, that might help. I try to focus on less things that might help and more focus on things that will help. Do you want know will help an ice ball? <laughs> like there's no scenario that I'm not going to be using that over and over throughout the scenario. I might take adaptive blessing and adaptive protection and never use it because it, it might help, but it might not help in that specific game. That's probably I'm, a good recommendation for the the lower level question that we had earlier is that um, that is a way that maybe you can make a difference where you don't have that cover mm -hmm. all like ESOL or protection from magic, but you can give them that that one protection or that one blessing. And if you take the blessing, it's once per life, just keep handing them out. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, the US. Yeah, yeah. A, a newer player might not have that knowledge to apply the protection, um, but it is still a great option if they do have that knowledge. I think, and I like the um, the points that Hangman brought up about how to use it. I think those are some very mm -hmm. good points. Another disadvantage of those spells, unfortunately, and I wish this weren't the case, but if I gave someone a blessing against command, they will probably forget that they have it. <laughs> true unless the bard's being really annoying like as yeah. a, as because i i like playing bard and I'll, I'll play it fairly often and when i step on the field and there's a healer on the other side that immunity to command comes out pretty quick um yeah and it, <laughs> they don't forget then because they just remember that they don't have to listen to me half the time or like 90 percent of the time which is really frustrating <laughs> as a bard <laughs> Yeah, it can be really good if you're up against a bunch of casters, but you don't know what you're what, what exactly they're going to be casting, and so you take a bunch of adaptive blessings, and then you, the next round you're like, okay, that bard has to go. I'm going to give three people adaptive of blessings for command, and you guys just soak a spell and charge him. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's once again training your park and your populace to understand what the enchantments are used for and um, yeah especially when to ask for them like if they realize they're being uh kind of set aside by a bard by using awes and insults um uh and they ask for that immunity they're probably going to remember they have it instead of you having to realize that that's a problem and then giving it to people they'll most likely forget because they didn't think of it themselves um yeah Bronze board got okay. So why okay? If healing can't is too much for new players, I think I could talk them into a blessing against wounds and release build as an alternate. What's a brief priority list for them to target with their release spells? I want to say release should be an offensive spell more often now, especially if you have ice balls. Holy crap! Nobody expects to be killed because you have release. It's hysterical. Yeah. Um, I had to explain this on a, a podcast, uh, a class that yesterday, um, the reason that touch spells work on frozen players and insubstantial players that can't move are two things specifically. I'm going to go to the rule book so everyone can, can follow along, uh, and we can make sure this, this gets this used correctly. Okay. Um, in number 13, on page 73 of Common Misconceptions in the rulebook, 
13 says, in order for an unwilling player to be affected by touch range magic, which is released, they must be frozen, stunned, dead, or unable to otherwise fight and move away. This, for example, means a frozen monk is not immune to shatter used at a range of touch. A player who is just stopped but has no weapons is still considered able to engage in combat and so must be willing in order to be affected by touch range magic or abilities. So you ice ball someone, they become <laughs> frozen. You walk up to them. They are now a willing player for release. You find the weak spot in their armor. You go behind them and then you cast a release and you stab them a bunch of times before they can turn around. It's really funny because release is a first level spell and you killed them with it. I wrote that specific blurb in the rule book that you <laughs> just read Aww. off. By Yay! The way. Awesome. Aww. I thank you for your contribution to my kill streaks. <laughs> I, it's it's pretty bi- like it was literally Balder, Haj, and I running around, and Haj would ice ball someone, and Balder and I would get right behind the player. One of us would release him, and there'd just be like a flurry of daggers down their back. We didn't care how many points of armor they had; we can hit you more than ten times in a half second when we know what's happening. It's it's mean, but it works. Um, I think the suggestion to replace the heal spell with blessing against wounds until you have learned the heal spell. I think that's a good idea. Um, because blessing against wounds. Yeah, it, I like it. Yeah, it's per life. It's really easy to say. You can get it quick. Um, and it kind of does the same thing instead of. But instead of being a reactive thing, it's a proactive protection. Um, I would still absolutely work on your heal spell. Taking, you know, the blessing does not mean, well, now I don't need to learn heal. Uh, you really should. Um, I'd also like to say uh, everyone can unmute themselves now. I got the, the server unmute to go. You just have to personally unmute yourself if you want to ask a question. Um uh, Weez asked top verbals to use experienced on besides teleport greater release <laughs> absolutely greater release I'm pretty sure I've used it on men Gr- greater release are numbers one through three that you use it's great It's great. On, yeah. it's, I, um, I don't think I've played healer that didn't have experience greater release honestly it'll usually be um so, like, if Jamie has a lot of armor or something like that, I'll be like, ugh. <laughs> For the people who aren't watching the camera, I just, like, roll my eyes and, like, all right, I'll help you. It's, I mean, yeah, it depends on your situation, I think, a lot. Um, also, there are only two classes, yeah, two classes that get greater release. And, uh, yeah, it's only two. It's Bard and Healer. That's yep. it. That's it. And um, it can be used me- to take Evoker, not Evoker, sorry. Elemental Barrage off a wizard. Yep. Uh, stop a Raging Barbarian, the fight after death. Um, you can take off all the states and ongoing abilities uh, like Awe, Insult. Uh, you can't technically do it to Agoraphobia unless you put them in a corner because it's their job to stay away. <laughs> yeah. It's a, you can it's do it a, with an extended one, but <laughs> yeah, it's true. If you want to extend it, um, it's a little rough. I just remembered one of my favorite healer tactics, and that is deal life, charge, steal life. Oh, oh yes, my god, 
I you remember can... one spring war, I just wore Gift of Air and like kind of meandered around the the enemy's front line, and every time one of them would die, just steal life, charge, steal life. Yeah. You can you can use steal life essence to charge steal life essence, and you can do that indefinitely and curse an entire team. Um, sometimes I'll uh, end up using steal life on my own team if it turns out that the that the lives and them being temporarily cursed isn't really that big of a deal, and I'm more like doing some sort of crowd control or maybe uh, helping along the front lines in a way that that needs those spells. I'll just be like. Oh, you're dead? Okay, thanks. Still alive. <laughs> yes, Hopper, I've, I've done that exact same thing. And people look at me like, excuse me? They're like so like, offended. Like, I thought I was your friend. Why would you do that? Go respawn. I needed that life essence. Yeah, you're fine. You'll be okay. <laughs> uh, Mend is another good one, too. Uh, as I mentioned before, that's a good one to experience. Bitch, said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I was just well. I was going to bring up specifically with that the I I because I did bring it up earlier the uh, poor man scavenge. <laughs> yeah, and Kaz told me about that. That is a tactic I've uh, applied as well. It's a, it's a good one. Yeah, you get you get I'm stone skin on yourself, and you mend the missing points of the stone skin, and you steal life essence, and get the mend back. Yoink. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think there are like several i mean the bard do, tries to do it with just swift mends uh and then just recharging themselves either you know charging back the mend or, or getting it in power or something like that like any classes on the front line wants scavenge like we want it but we don't have it so we have to try to make this bootleg janky crap and be like this is my uh scavenge it takes five points and it works 20% of the time. 20% <laughs> of the time. 100% of the time. Right. Um, it's Scavenge is such a good ability. It's ridiculous. Um, you guys can talk, by the way, audience, if you have a question or a comment or anything like that. We have, we have reached the open conversation section. You just have to unmute yourselves because you're no longer I've server muted. I've seen Baldur's uh, light light up. I think he's typing because he's got loud keys. I'm playing League. Dear God. <laughs> You're not even listening. <laughs> That's my man at arms, everybody. I'm his man at arms. I'm his man yeah, at arms. We're a man mess. We're <laughs> <laughs> man at arms to each other. <laughs> I make Michael's tree now. I can mess it up. <laughs> oh, 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 oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So, funny story in regards to man-at-arms. I am man-at-arms to Fog because he is a lord, but he is not a knight. And I think that I'm closer to knighthood than he is. So if I get knighted before he does, then my first thing is I'm going to squire him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know the story about Megiddo and, um, uh, oh God, what is his squire's name that got knighted before him? Guy. Uh... <laughs> Megid that guy no no his his name is guy that's always so confusing <laughs> why, why is that a name hilariously if, if it's it's french and it's supposed to be pronounced gi but you know yeah everyone pronounces um, it guy uh megiddo squired him and then he got guy got knighted first and then was knighted for like two years before megiddo got knighted so there was a fun little weird thing on the tree where it was megiddo squire Belted too. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
it's it's fun weird stuff do we have any other questions regarding keeler instead of talking about weird belt politics and how i mess up michael's tree when i decide to throw balder on the list <laughs> <laughs> did you did you put him on jamie's uh the no. thing that you made for Jamie? No, if I included every... So there are 70... Uh, with the new edition, there are 74 people on Michael's tree that are just knights and squires. If we include man-at-arms and pages, it's something like 140. Damn. It's stupid. There's so many of us. So stupid. What was that, Weiss? How close are we to dropping the squires? Because there's too many. Uh, our first answer is to make it two posters instead of one. <laughs> <laughs> We'd first drop the names on the squires, so you still get your heraldry, uh, but no name, no fighting company, no uh, 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 kingdom heraldry attached. You just get your heraldry attached to your knight. Um, but we'll see. Back on topic to Healer. Do we have any other questions on Healer? Otherwise, I'm gonna end the recording and we'll uh, we can we can shoot the shit for a while. Um, Omet said, "I enjoy experience banish on a priest list if I'm going super backline. My park is a lot of assassins." Oh yes, that's probably a good idea. Oh, you I do love want, it. Yeah. Adapting your list to things like that is a good idea, especially when you have the astral intervention and banish combo. Since astral intervention. I, I, you are gonna go there since astral intervention is already chargeable then when you experience banish then it's just like this infinite loop of mean exactly i love it it's yeah remember this is something i point out to everybody now because uh i found a really good way to explain it on the whack podcast they discovered that a toyota camry is 19.5 feet long that is only six inches off from how far away you can be for 90% of our spells. Go look at a Toyota Camry and memorize that size. Cause 20 feet is a lot smaller than you think. Like in my experience, it's always a lot longer than I think. I usually cast 20 feet. spells like within 10 or 15 feet. Then you need glasses. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, it's, it's just, I over, I underestimate how much 20 feet is. <laughs> the other aspect of that, is always remember you can start casting before they're in 20 feet. If someone is charging you, yes. cast it when they're at 30 feet. Because if you start casting at 20, 90% of the time they're going to run you through because 20 feet is like five steps. That's or also can... a good point. Like if you're doing the the um, the resurrect bit where you're, um, huh, where you're calling their dead body over to you, right? You don't have to like wait to start casting resurrect until you can touch them you can mm -hmm. start as long as you end it you know what i mean that and that that thing casting when there's someone's out of range and and running to you is invaluable for greater releasing fight after death barbarians mm -hmm. yeah it, 20 um, feet is very very small distance and very few of our spells can be pulled off within sprinting distance of 20 feet because um yeah 20 feet is is no time to cross if someone's running especially if they've been if they are running already to cross 20 feet is two to three steps potentially four or five if they're short like it's not much um we've got a question from brother augustine uh a more general question what advice do you have for a healer main who's played for about a decade with no awards 
travel. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, travel. Wear something that gets you noticed because um, uh, more often than not, if you are flashy, uh, you will get just as noticed as someone who is not flashy and is maybe a better healer than you. Not saying that like somebody specifically is. I don't. I don't know you, but um, I don't know you. Visually being noticed can sometimes help you get Paragon Hood. It should. Yeah. Um, presentation is a huge part of Paragon Hood. I, I wouldn't say it, it's in front of uh, actual class battle game skill or the teaching aspect. But I would say it's a it's a third, <laughs> and not even a distant third. Um, and that doesn't. And I've heard people say, you know, a paragon is someone should look like you know you can guess what their class is without looking at their sash. And I disagree with that because you know that's imparting what you think a healer is on somebody on somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, I do not consent. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but. A big part of being Paragon is looking like your persona and putting effort into your persona and, you know, hey, having man, that Man, as long as you're not wearing rags, like, I don't know, wear some garb. Fuck. <laughs> hey, you can wear rags if uh, your persona is a peasant, but they better be uh, oh, yes. pretty accurately. They they should be, you know, out of not out of laziness, but because of, you know. Preferably burlap. Yes. <laughs> Or even just a potato sack My goodness. with holes. <laughs> Don't um, wear just burlap on your skin, by the way. You will end up with a very bad day. I would recommend um, play the class until they hate you playing the class. Yeah, or only play until... that class. Yeah, or or like I guess with healer, it could go like where they absolutely love you all the time for being on their team. But um, that was sort of uh, a mental approach I took to it. Um, especially when playing Wizard, I said to myself and to others, I'm going to play this until they hate me or until they give me Paragon. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good goal. The the great times are when, uh, when you've played healer for so long and then you're like, man, I should focus on like a martial class and then you're like wearing a barbarian sash and they look at you and they're like heal me fucker and you're like <laughs> do i look like a healer right now yes so many people ask me for heal when i switch to wizard like, it's no. like hey pay attention pay attention switched up i switched up um the other thing i would say is ask people why you're not getting awards there there's this weird in my opinion, it's weird. And I don't or like just it. ask for it. Yeah. Like if people are not allowed to ask for critiques or why they didn't get something, I think that's a fault on our system. So if you think you should get Paragon, ask other Paragons why you're not. Um, if if their answer is, well, I don't know you on the field, then you have to step up your game. You have to, to do a little more research, dig a little deeper, try to make sure that people are noticing you and that you are a threat on the field um in some fashion would that one just be prepared to get your feelings hurt yeah if you haven't already been noticed um, like it's a sad truth yeah. but it's okay because you're there to learn it's it's mm -hmm. also they're not saying you as a person are bad they're saying you have growth 
you have space to learn. Uh, I'm an art student, and that was one of the first things they have to teach you, and they run you through the ringer for it, is like, when we say your art is bad, we're not saying you as a person are objectively a bad person. We're saying your art needs work. Our game is somewhat an art. Your art of war or art of the healer can get better. We're not saying you're bad if someone says we don't know who you are. They're just saying that you can grow. And it might be that they're not paying attention. It could also be that uh, your effect on the field is not something that they're able to trace. Ask multiple people, ask a lot of people, and ask for critique. Critique is the something that a lot of people, I think, take the wrong direction. Whenever I try to give critique, I'm trying to tell you, like, these are things that I noticed that you could do better on. I'm not saying you're wrong in what you're doing. I'm just saying these are things I noticed that you could make uh, a bigger difference with or something like that. Oh, um, and make sure to go to Kingdom events. Very yeah, important. if you don't show up to Kingdom events, you're oh, never getting Paragon. Yeah, oh, absolutely agreed. Like, I've seen a lot of people, and it's 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 hard to tell them this without really hurting their feelings. Like, this person should get Paragon. They do really, really well at my park, and you know, and ki they kick a lot of ass at my park. Have they played any Kingdom games? Yes, um, but and they're completely unnoticeable and just kind of a face in the crowd there. But one thing to be clear is that Paragon is a Kingdom level award. In order to get Paragon, you have to be a dominant force at the Kingdom level. Mm -hmm. Um. We had it on our first hell? episode. Hot, like hot takes. Pa uh, park paragons shouldn't exist. Um, you can be the best at your park, but because paragon is a kingdom award, you gotta be stunting on kingdom levels. Now, if you're playing healer and playing support healer, it is gonna be a little harder for the opposing team to realize that you've made a big difference, unless they're very tactical and strategical uh, and strategy based. Yeah. They may not realize the difference you made, but your team should. If, right. Yeah. If, uh, like, um, Asmaria got her Paragon for a lot of gummy and resbot work, the other team very rarely knew what she was doing, but every time I was on her team, I could see the active change on the field of our players are live, they're moving, and they are ready to go immediately. We're not waiting on respawns. We're not losing life totals. They're off on. They're ready to go. They're gone. They're they're doing things already. So make sure that the the people that are seeing that change are recommending uh, you to other people. Um, <clears throat> when you are looking for the recognition, too, a good way to approach the situation um, when you're going to ask for an award. Uh, it, it's not so much asking for the award. So if you're going to the monarch, um, a good way to phrase it would be, "Hey, I would like to get this award. Can you tell me what things I could do to help achieve that?" So you're just stating it as, like, "This is my goal. Uh, how can I help get there?" Mm -hmm. Rather than saying. Why don't I have this yet? Yeah. Um, and when it comes to asking uh, other casters or your peers in the community, um, just asking them for their advice rather than saying, why am I not a paragon? Uh, 
say, what things do you think I could improve on um, in my tactics or my casting? Or what, you know, what things would you like me to do uh, on the team? Um, another thing that really helps is there's this wonderful thing that's written into the rule book that talks about apprentices <laughs> for Paragonhood. Find if if you find someone who you get along with who is a paragon, and you say that person really impresses me, I feel I could learn from them. Then become their apprentice. This does a couple of things. One, it gives you someone to go to, someone someone who is dedicated a portion of their lives to looking at what you do and what you can do to improve, um, and, and as opposed to just like random other people who are you know who may or may not be watching you. This person is dedicated themselves to doing it. Number two, Taj and I are examples of that. <laughs> number two, yeah. if you are are truly ready for Paragonhood, you now have someone who's going to bat for you and say, "I recommend this person for Paragonhood. I took them as an apprentice, and they are ready." Mm -hmm. I also think you don't have to find. It depends, but there's a there's the stigma that if you're going for a class, you have to find a Paragon in that class. I take yeah. it the same way as knighthood. You don't have to go for the same belt your knight did. It's a mentorship mm -hmm. program that is v very individual to each person. If your connection to your paragon is strong, it doesn't matter if they're paragon scout and you want to be paragon monk. You will still learn things and you will work together to sharpen your skills. So find someone that works you work well with, and that's for squire and apprentice find someone you work well with you get along with and that you are going to learn from um it's 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 all kind of you have to self-internalize why you want to do it and how the best way to get you there is that was a terrible sentence but um for example for me i do really really bad with self-motivation but external factors make me do things really really well um when I asked Broton to be my Paragon, I told him I have one year and I will get my Paragon Bard. And that's that was my deadline. Like, I'm telling you that in if one year, if I don't get it, you kick me out of your belt, out of your, your Paragon tree thing. And he's like, sure. And I did it. Um, I traveled a lot and I don't expect anyone to keep to that same standard because it was stupid. Uh, Balder and I literally drove to like four different <laughs> states to try to play games. Like it was literally Hodge, Balder, Timmit, Agro, and myself. We went to every park once. We went to three different kingdoms. We went to like five huge battle game events. Like we went and dedicated our lives for a year to go be good. Um, if you have the opportunity, great. If you don't, don't hold yourself to that standard. It's a ridiculously stupid standard, and I really enjoyed every moment of it. But like, holy shit, that was not a smart idea. <laughs> like, it's time for a story, though. Yeah, it's great. I, I mean, I enjoyed every moment of it. There's, uh, I did the math at one point. Hodge Balder and I had something like a total of, like a hundred and forty hours or something like that in the car over one year just talking yeah. about amp guard <laughs> um, to put that. it into perspective i went from level one to level six in bard in three months that's how much we traveled and <laughs> played everywhere now you can just sign it online <laughs> uh but uh, find what motivates you in the in 
the game and let that push you forward. Um, Hopper, you have a shout out. Your your uh, healer sash is dope. Oh, you like it? Oh, you like it? This is Yaya Han fabric. Um, <laughs> it's fun to work with, but it's stretchy, so beware. Is that does that still have the cross on the bottom? No, actually, I gave that one away. This is the this is the new one. the The one with the cross on the bottom was like the one that I had before Paragon. I don't have it anymore. But that was also the same fabric, so um, the same beware. The stretchy fabric is annoying, but worth it. Uh, do we have any other questions, comments, concerns, personal attacks on myself? You need Fuck to shame you, yourself more. <laughs> <laughs> I Fuck you, Shorzy! No, I love you, John. Oh, God. Um, my train of thought exploded. Dear God. Uh, Alright, if that is uh, all of our questions, all of our stuff, <laughs> this has been... Uh, Three hours and 35 minutes. I think this is our longest one now. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> uh, I Didn't the other one have like five or six people? The warrior one went fairly quickly. And we did have like five people. Uh, the other one that was really long was Druid. And that was mainly because Denny, Teflon, and I decided to talk battle game mechanics for an hour. Regardless mm. of what the topic Fantastic. was. <laughs> um. Uh, I'll try to get this up on YouTube and Spotify sometime this week. Normally, it's about Wednesday. I'm trying to get more consistent on that, so push me to do that. Um, uh, if you guys have any questions, you can always message me on Facebook under John Wilhelm, or you can find me under Merrick the 15th. That also works. Uh, thank you all for joining us on this ridiculously long podcast, and uh, recorded Merrick will roll us out. This has been another episode of The Paragon Path. If you liked what you heard or saw, please drop us a like and follow on YouTube or Spotify or Google Music or anywhere else that you can find us. We have a Facebook page, On The Path, that lets you know when we're recording, what you can join into, and what to expect next. We record these episodes live every other weekend on the Kingdom of Polaris Discord. Link is in the comments. If you'd like to learn more, please subscribe, comment, or just drop us a line. As always... Happy to see you on the field. See you next time.